0: So here's here's part two. This is the the uh, experimental episode of the talk show. where We're recording for eight hours straight, <laughs> <and> breaking <laughs> it into two shows.
1: We'll see what happens. See the the flaw with this plan is what if there's some really big news next week? That's possible. I mean, we can tr- we can try to guess what it was and then pretend like it happened and just talk about it as if it had really happened. Yeah. So we got that uh,
0: that X Mac finally. <laughs> that would be shocking. <laughs> that would be so shocking. I don't think there's any room for that Mac anymore. Was there ever really? Well, there was when the Mac Pro was huge, physically huge. Like specs aside, just there was a, a physical. I don't even know if it makes any marketing sense. And I don't even know if it makes any engineering sense that they could have put something into it, uh, you know, that they couldn't have fit into a Mac Mini. But, you know, I think that there was at least – it felt like maybe there was room for a mid-size model with mid-range specs. In a way that like an iMac – because that's what everybody wants is they want the iMac without the display. Right, and
1: with like expansion slots and everything else. Basically, basically, they want they, they want the iMac in a regular mid tower case with with a couple of you know GPU slots that people can put big gaming GPUs for three hundred bucks in. That's that's what they want. Which, of course, Apple will never make. And if <laughs> if there was any hope before the new Mac Pro came out, uh,
0: that certainly shattered it. Yeah, totally. You guys had some good episodes of uh, of ATP talking about the Mac Pro.
1: Yeah, we talked about it way too much, and I still don't even have mine yet. Mine's still like you know waiting to be shipped. It's I, it hasn't even shipped yet.
0: And you ordered like day one, right? Like,
1: well, you... not really. I I I ordered through the business rep at the store. But on it was within the, days. Well, sort of. It was I ordered the day after they became available, but then I got cold feet on a couple of my very expensive options and chickened out and changed <laughs> the order like two weeks in or three weeks in. So. I kind of, I, I imagine that, that reset my position in the queue. Uh, so, and now I'm getting a slower one later, which I'm not sure was <laughs> the best idea now, but at least it's a lot cheaper.
0: I suspect that a lot of listeners of this show listen to ATPI, So I don't want to regurgitate the whole thing. Uh, and if you don't, and you have never listened to the Accidental Tech Podcast with Marco and John and... Uh, Casey Liss. Casey Liss. That's right.
1: <laughs> that's That was the best name. Just joke-wise, that was the best of the three of us to forget
0: temporarily. I didn't actually forget him, but I had to make the joke. Um, uh, it's a great show, really good show, and uh, comes out on a regular basis as opposed to an irregular basis like this one. Um, when do you guys record? <laughs> we
1: record every Wednesday night, uh, and then we release it. I, I edit Thursday morning, pass it off to Casey, for final edit, for final you know catching things, I do a final edit and show notes, and then we release it Friday morning.
0: And you guys broadcast live? We do, yeah. Dan and I, I guess used to do that. I forget if we did that for most of the run of the old talk show, or if it was only a stretch of it. But uh, I guess it was a big stretch of it where we would do live. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't. Do you think that's worth it? It depends on the kind of show you do.
1: If it's like if it's like an interview show like the old pipeline and like command space now um if it's like that kind of show i don't think it really adds anything um but if it's if it's the kind of show like what we do where it's just three guys bullshitting about tech uh and I, I think your show you could probably do it too um it really adds something where it add, it adds you know it, the, the number of people who, who listen is not big you know our show gets a usually about two hundred and seventy five listeners to the live stream, um, which as a percentage of our whole audience is really pretty small. But those are like two hundred and seventy five of the most devoted fans. Uh you know, like those those people are like they love the show so much to listen to it live and they usually provide really good feedback live. And so if we're like kind of fumbling over a fact or yeah. a URL or something, they'll paste it in. They'll they'll give it to us. It's and like the so world's can, best series.
0: Because it's really, really <laughs> smart people who exactly who completely understand the words coming out of your mouth, and exactly and are domain experts in the things that you're talking about. Where it
1: you- just it, it, the only thing is with live listening is that it, it you can take it too far, which is like it, it. It's also a distraction for the hosts. Like I, it's often hard for me to not pay too much attention to the chat room, and also. It changes the nature of the show, like it changes the way it feels to do the show, because it's like there's there's an immediate immediate audience there, um, it, it, and overall I think it's a net win for the kind of show we do because you know if we're if we start digging ourselves a little hole where we're totally wrong or off base about something it gets stopped it gets stopped right. you know v- very quickly as opposed to you know if you and I start digging ourselves into a hole now. We aren't even going to know for two weeks,
0: and then it's <laughs> like going to be this, way worse. Imagine what the chat room would look like if the Celsius Fahrenheit thing was. <laughs> <full> <laughs> you know what exactly. I really miss? You know, I'll tell you the one thing I deeply miss about uh, the chat room with the talk show was episode titles.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one too because that, uh, that's like that's one less thing you have to try to keep track of in your head along the way.
0: Because if you're trying to pick three or four words that were uttered by one of the people on the show that makes for a funny and apt episode title. uh, The live thing is the best way to get them. Because we'll we'll, we'll hit stop on this and I'll forget everything we said. Um, And then you just kind of have to go back and hope you think of a good title. Whereas with the live one, we never once didn't get an A-grade title out of the, the chat room. Oh, Usually yeah. it was like hard to pick one because there'd be like three or four really good ones.
1: Right, there'd be like seventy suggestions and you know f- you know ten decent ones and then a handful of really good ones and yeah it was great and, and yeah and that's that's what we have still with our show it's great I, someday I'll have to write up how I do this because it's I don't do anything difficult it's just complicated it's you know the way you set it up it's like this pile of tools um, and it doesn't. It doesn't uh, genericize well, and so I, I really got not
0: Not at all, nope. no. Well, to encapsulate, though, the Mac Pro discussion, and, and you know, it really is, it's, it's like the, the origins of the show, right? It was you guys wondering whether Apple was even going to do another Mac Pro a year or two ago. Right. It
1: wasn't necessarily the origin of the show. It was just always the running joke right. of the show. Uh, you know, it was it was our logo for, since the beginning of the show, and I had to make a logo like, you know, there it was. It was always our logo, like the old Mac Pro with the little new badge on it, um, kind of a joke with the fake update we got in 2012. Uh, and you know, like it was, it was always a running theme because Casey was not a Mac Pro guy, but me and John Syracusa are and have been for a long time. And so it was always this thing like, wh- when are they going to do a new Mac Pro? And then once once they announced it, then it was like, well, what's it going to be like? And what's it going to cost? And what what are the options going to be? And now that it's out, it's like, all right, how does it perform? Is it worth it? What are they? You know, is it still right for us? And so there's a whole vast ocean of possible discussion that nobody except me and John Syracuse care about. No,
0: but now people care, and it's a, such a good. It's a perfect mix. It's a perfect example of how the three-way mix of the show works where you and john have are both into the mac pro and care about it deeply but for very different reasons right and casey as someone who doesn't have one and just lives off i think two macbooks right he's got like or maybe yes. he just has one i don't know but he's he's a macbook guy he's got yeah, like a, two macbook pros like a macbook pro at home like at a mac- home and a work home yeah. and a work day and a night um speaks to, clearly speaks to the the masses, and even the masses of people who listen to our show, I'm sure. There's no doubt in my mind that most of the people who listen to our show, their main Mac is a, is a MacBook of some sort, if not an Air, it's a pro. Oh, definitely. I mean, just look at the numbers uh, that they sell. Uh, and so it's a good mix. But I think, you know, the gist of your multi-episode long discussion, though, is that John is going to hold off. I and- think so. He, he at least has so far held right off. hasn't ordered it because uh, one of the main things I mean it's I, <laughs> it's really hard to summarize the John Syracuse argument. but <laughs> one of the main things though, is that he's always been into gaming, serious gaming. And you know his ideal uh, Mac pro would have either have either be configurable with gaming GPUs or somehow you'd be able to uh, you know as an expert user add them on. Uh, and it doesn't that it comes with these pro GPUs that are optimized for you know like professional de- video and design type stuff, which is very different than right. gaming GPUs.
1: And like and the high end ones do have decent gaming performance, but not only is it not cutting edge, but you pay a thousand dollars for it to be decent and not cutting edge.
0: Right, you pay an enormous uh, surtax if your interest is in the gaming. You're, right. you're paying for something that you're not getting any use out of. I mean, I think one way, and, and I'm just paraphrasing Syracuse here, so I'm probably going to botch it because he's impossible to paraphrase too. But with gaming, you just want the, the frame rate, and you want it to be able to handle lots of pixels at once and do these things. And if there's you know, minor things that are imperfect in a render, it's one sixtieth of a second if you're going 60 frames per second. Whereas if you're rendering out a video you don't want any imperfections anywhere. It's that you're optimizing for a different case.
1: Yeah, you, exactly. I mean, and the whole, you know, a lot of times the the pro GPUs, I think almost all the time, the pro GPUs are really almost the same or identical hardware as the gaming GPUs, uh, but with very, very different drivers right. and, and very different software. And a lot of times it'll have like, sub- substantially more RAM maybe or faster bus or something like that. But it's, it's the same, usually it's based on the same hardware. Right. And, you know, it, it's it's like the Xeons, you know, with Intel. It's like it's based on the same hardware as the consumer stuff, but it's, you know, with some modifications and, you know, possibly different platforms. And
0: they're, they're optimized for a totally different uh, completely purpose. Whereas the Pro ones are, are meant so that every frame is perfect and then do them as fast as possible. And the gaming ones are do it as fast as possible and secondarily make them look as good as possible. Because if you're right. playing a shooter... The last thing you want is a stutter between frames because you're going to get blown away. Whereas if you're rendering out a movie, the last thing you want is a frame in the movie that's got like a visual glitch in it.
1: Right, and and with the new Mac Pro, it's even weirder because so there's two of these GPUs. You, they you have to order them the same, and if you're in Windows, they will they can work together to both render games in parallel. Uh, but if you are if you're using Mac OS X uh one of those GPUs is basically always off unless you are doing opencl computation like it, it one of the GPUs does not control the screens and cannot control the screens at all which is weird so it's the new mac pro is is a very lopsided machine it you know the old mac pro was this big ungraceful generalist which is what pc towers always have been Um, it was it's the old mac pro is this big workstation with tons of slots tons of hard drive bays um a bunch of different cpu options even though they were all they were all fairly expensive xeon chips but still a bunch of different cpu options bunch of ram slots um you know just uh, you could do a ton of stuff with this you could configure it in all sorts of weird ways to be lopsided in whatever way you needed it to be or to be uh, to be like a decent generalist with with lots of future expansion of just you know hard drives and stuff. You had all these options. The new Mac Pro, it comes pre configured to be lopsided in one particular way, which is having tons of GPU power, way more GPU power, uh, and and not even for gaming, as you said, you know, tons of GPU GPU power for computation and for professional type apps than anything else, and. Pretty, you know, moderate, moderate CPUs. Um, you know, they're they're better than what you get on an iMac at most things, but not by a huge margin. Unless you're doing super parallel things, and you get the very expensive, very many core chips. So, like, it's it's this machine that used to solve a lot more roles for a lot more people. Now they've they've reduced that and they've they've made it more specialized. It's less of a generalist now, and so they've made it more specialized in a way that. Now fits me a little bit worse and fits John Syracusa a lot worse
0: than the old one did. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm really, you know, I've bugged you offline about this that I'm, I need to buy a new computer. I need to buy a new Mac. And I was waiting for Mac Pros. I've been waiting for Retina. And that's a whole other discussion you guys have covered thoroughly is the when are desktop size displays, 24, 27 inch displays, going to go Retina? Um, and the Mac Pro the one that is now new is not the answer or at least not yet uh, and so why wait any longer I feel like the answer and I really became clear to me after listening to ATP is I should just buy a 27 inch iMac because that way uh, like the thing that's always put me off on the iMac is I don't want to just I don't want to get rid of the display when I get rid of the computer. I'd rather put money into it invest in a display that I'll keep for more years then I might keep the whole computer. Uh, but I think it's just not worth worrying about at this point, price-wise. Because I think when Retina displays for Macs come out, they're going to be expensive enough that the cost of a 27-inch iMac today is just not that significant.
1: Probably. And, you know, my theory is thats is that 4K is coming first, and, and probably pretty soon, probably this year. Um, to You know, if they wanted to do a true... 5120 by 2880 is you know what is truly 2x the current 27 inch size. Uh, I there's a lot of technological problems with that right now uh, mostly relating to uh, bandwidth limitations of things like Thunderbolt and various interfaces. but for them to do 4k, everything's in place for that, for that right now they, they could they could ship a 4k Thunderbolt display today uh, that works just fine in all the new MacBook Pros. Uh, not the Airs, but all the new MacBook Pros. Everything that's Thunderbolt two, so all the MacBook Pros and all of the new Mac Pros, and that could do software scaling the way the Retina uh, MacBook Pros do, software scaling up to bigger, better resolutions. So, like, all of this is in place for that to happen today. So that we could kind of say that's going to happen anytime now. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect an iMac update until this fall when the new Intel CPUs come out. Right. So I would say, you know, iMac update this fall has a decent chance of going Retina. And any time now, there might be a Thunderbolt display, a standalone Thunderbolt display, that would be 4K. So I think, however you look at this, it's pretty clear that desktops going Retina are going to happen soonish. You know, whether it's this year or next year, That's when you're talking about buying a computer, especially you buying a home computer, because your current home computer is, what, six years old? Uh, yeah. Right. So, so you, you know, this is not a frequent purchase for you. No. So, looking at this from that point of view, just, and, and you're the kind of person you will care a lot about Retina. When Retina comes out on the desktop, you will probably want it. And so, it's hard for me to say to you, you should buy this new computer today when we are probably within a year of desktops going Retina in some meaningful way.
0: I think the problem is that I broke the cardinal rule of computing of buying a computer, which I used to follow pretty religiously, which is when you need a new computer, buy it. And have take a little bit, take like a three-month window of common sense in terms of being able to tell if there's a good chance that new ones might be coming in the next three months or so and maybe wait, but no more than that. And and conversely, if the one you're going to buy is like three, four months old, you know it's going to be okay for a while. And then just buy it when you need it. In which case, I would have bought a new... Probably would have bought a 27-inch iMac like three years ago. And, and the whole reason I didn't then was I thought Retina might be imminent. My enthusiasm yeah. for Retina displays is such that I vastly... I took, convinced myself that they were coming way sooner than they than they are. Especially once the iPhone 4 came out, and which was the first Retina device. And I just immediately thought everything's going to go Retina soon.
1: And it's entirely possible that... My enthusiasm for it is causing me to make these predictions too aggressively, you know. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to deny that uh, that that is very much a possibility here. That I could be way off on my timeline as well. You know, we, this could be three years out, and I'm saying it might happen this year. But I,
0: I've, I've said this before. I remember it was like 2006 or 2007. I don't know. It was a while back, and at WWDC, and they had a session about resolution independent Mac development. I mean, it was before <laughs> iOS even existed, and they were like, there was, you know, they, they actually pushed it a, a, quite a bit the one year. And they wanted, you know, they you, you could use um, instead of bitmaps, you could use PDFs for, like, the elements. And Cable Sasser and I, we just, like, had lunch the one day at WDC. And we're like, Retina Max, they're coming soon. <laughs> they're probably going to be out by the end of summer. <laughs> we were so excited. And Cable, of course, you know, the Panic guys, they made, like, their apps retina-ready. <laughs> they made, They had, like, retina-ready resources in their Mac apps, like, six years ago. Because cable you know it had, was so excited about it and it just seemed like hey Apple's telling us to do it and the, you know a lot of times when Apple tells developers to do something, developers will be like, oh, all right maybe in the next version and then all of a sudden they get bit on the ass because the thing that they were pushing it for comes out. oh yeah uh, and you know could not have been more wrong so yeah I I think,
1: if you if you want to keep your next computer for more than a couple of years, yeah, I it say, shouldn't be an iMac that you buy today. Yeah. So but- whether it's an iMac that you buy this winter, this coming winter, or whether it's a Mac Pro that you buy today that you plug in a 4K display to when those come out, um, that's that's up to you, and that's that's vague. Um, I don't. I think the better thing to do in your shoes is just to wait to see how this plays out. Because you know it's you're right. The cardinal rule of computers used to be, oh, just buy it when you need it because they're always they're always about to get better. But there are certain major leaps that it kind of sucks to be on the wrong side of. Right. And so if you can foresee one of those major leaps, or if it's very obvious that one of those major leaps is going to happen within the next year, uh,
0: I would. That's usually worth waiting for. I you know I feel like if I buy the iMac if I buy a new iMac this month and. Retina iMacs or Retina Mac Pro, you know, Mac Pro plus a 4K display equals Retina comes out sometime later this year. I, I mean, I don't know. I could give it to. I could find somebody to take the iMac off my hands. I don't know, or I could set it up for Jonas as a game machine or something.
1: Very, very high end. Well, and that's the other thing too. I mean, one of the reasons why I ordered this new Mac Pro. And why I ordered a fairly modest configuration of it, uh, why I changed the order, is because I have that out, too, because my wife uses a Mac Pro. She does tons of heavy photography work with these giant RAW files that our cameras now shoot these days. And so she she's had a Mac Pro for f- three years now. And so I know, like, if a really crazy update comes out in a year, that that I really, really want. Maybe it's needed for retina. Maybe the CPUs actually did take a meaningful leap forward with the uh, with the Haswell EPs when, when those come out. You know, if there's some major new advance in a year in the Mac Pro line, I know I can give this one to my wife, upgrade her, which she wants anyway. <laughs> you know, so upgrade her and then, you know, get myself the new one. So I, I at least have that out. Uh, so yeah, that that's possible. But an iMac is a little hard to give away. Like, it's easy to give away a laptop to, like, your family, your, you know, your spouses, grandparents, parents, whatever. It's e- it's easy to give away laptops. Uh, desktops are, are much more of an imposition on people. Yeah. And so it's it's harder. So I don't know.
0: Well, I still, I feel like, I you know, if I get bit, I get bit, and I have to eat, eat it, but... So you said when we were chatting about it on instant message, it's, a, it's as much of a pain in the ass as it is to package up and sell ship a like a MacBook. Like packaging, like if some if I sold it to somebody online, what a pain in the ass that is to ship a iMac.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's it's terrible. Like I, I did that actually. There was one of those sites that buys old stuff from you. Um, you know, whatever one used to sponsor five by five. I forget the name of it, um, but I sold it to them because it was easier. Right. Because like they sent me the box and everything, it was just so. And even though like you know, I know it's it's like selling a car back like to a dealer versus private sale. Like you can you can sell a car private sale and get a bit more money out of it, but it's such a pain in the ass. It's really not worth it a lot of the time. (laughs) Most of the time. Yeah, it's a huge pain in the ass. You got to meet people. Oh, terrible! I I, I've done that twice. I'll never do it again. I will I will always sell my cars back to the dealer now because it's just I know I'm getting a little bit ripped off by it, but it saves it saves
0: you like months of dealing with f- flaky people and uh yeah terrible there is an actual convenience to it like if you want to call it a convenience surcharge it is as opposed to uh ticketmaster where <laughs> <laughs> yes where the convenience charge i wish i wouldn't even mind paying it if the, if when you go to buy something at ticketmaster and it, and they charge you 1750 for a convenience charge if they just put an asterisk after it and then at the bottom, put a footnote that said, not actually convenient. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would pay it without begrudging. That's what they should call the dealer. The dealer markup that you pay on a, on a trade-in is, it's a convenience charge.
1: Because they know. Yeah.
0: They know exactly what a pain in the ass it is to sell it private. Unless you're like in the case where like your brother or your best friend is actually in the market for the used car you're looking to get rid of.
1: Yeah, well, even then, like, would you would you sell your car to somebody you know?
0: You know, I guess I would be a little reluctant to do it, because, you know, it's it's like the whole don't mix business with pleasure, where you sell it, right. and, and you might sell it in good conscience that the car has, you know, no problems that you're actually aware of, you just want a new car, and then all of a sudden you sell it, and the transmission goes bad, and then you feel like a jerk.
1: Exactly, yeah, you, 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 want, it, you want it to be, like, out of your life, you want a clean break, when you get rid of something that's so potentially financially burdensome to somebody, like, you, you don't want to be involved with that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would not recommend that you, that you get an iMac right now. Um, especially because you don't, you know, you upgrade so infrequently. I, I can, I can foresee, maybe this will be podcast claim chowder. I'm going to I can do it foresee, anyway. I can foresee you buying the iMac, uh, you know, in, you know, in a few weeks or a month. no, I'm going to buy it, it right now fast. while we're recording this show. I'm going to see you buy the iMac in three months. So like <laughs> like right before WWDC, <laughs> no, you're going to buy, right buy the iMac. And the new one's going to come out, and you're going to say, oh, I really want the new one. Here it is. I just and you're it. not going to get it for five years. Like this is going to sit on your desk, and you're going to be like, oh, I, I want to have bought the new one. But you're not going to care enough to actually go through the hassle of doing it. It's like... Listeners of your podcast, uh, for long enough, are probably very familiar with the 11-inch MacBook Air that you have, that you have been saying you've been trying to sell for <laughs> how long?
0: Since it was like a year old.
1: Yeah. I, I remember you first said it to Dan Benjamin to give you some idea of how long it was.
0: Well, it's the last 11-inch Air that doesn't have a light-up keyboard.
1: It's a 2010
0: model, right? Right, and yeah, I guess that's the year. And so, as soon as the light up keyboards came out, I really thought about buying one just to get that light up keyboard because you can't (laughs) see the keys on it when you're like on an airplane or something if you're flying at night. Plus, the keys—it's not just that they light up; it's actually the the they're they're they made like some clicky. You know, like the the older 11 inch Airs have a like a squishier, less clicky keyboard.
1: So, you have this computer that you've been dissatisfied with for three years. And Close it to is, four, probably. It is the smallest laptop that Apple sells. It would be the easiest thing in the world to, to sell to somebody and ship. Right. And you have infinite people who have probably gave you, given you offers since you first mentioned it on a podcast three years ago. And yeah, I just you still be, have. Couldn't thing. be bothered to find the box. Right. Right, so I, I don't buy your iMac upgrade story at yeah. all. Well, that's why <laughs> that's I'm thinking. I'm happen. thinking more
0: likely that we'd figure out, you know, f- set it up for Jonas somewhere else in the house, and he'd have a nice right. big gaming machine.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there's if you if you foresee a need for that in the next year, where that would be the right choice, um, you know, as opposed to a laptop or something, uh, then then yeah, that, that that's a valid way out for you, I think.
0: Um, here's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we, on this new new Mac thing because you had a uh, I wanted to go into detail on it if you if one were to buy an iMac uh, I'm intrigued by the fusion drive uh, which is the the SSD smallish SSD combined with a spinning hard disk that that uh, the file system magically makes appear as a single volume and it combines some measure of the speed of an SSD with the greater capacity of a spinning hard disk and you you mentioned almost offhandedly that the 1 terabyte fusion drive is not too bad but that the 3 terabyte one is no good. Is that do you agree with that? Am well, I mm, stating it right? No. Um no.
1: I mentioned that the that the, a 1 terabyte SSD, a real all SSD 1 terabyte SSD which is now available on all the Macs or most of them at least. That that while it is more expensive and smaller is way better than a fusion drive. Ah, okay. And so, you know, a lot of people when fusion drives first came out, it was great. It was it's and it still is a great option, no question. It is a fantastic option and I would say anybody buying an iMac cuz it, it's only available on the iMac and Mac mini,
0: right? Yeah, I think as a uh yeah. if you're not going to get into a do it yourself thing with the terminal command. Right. Know, it's it's only the Mac mini and the iMac
1: well and i think i'm not positive on this i think the drives both have to be internal i don't think it'll do it on external so you pretty much stuck with like old mac pros uh iMacs and mac minis um so i'm not positive on that anyway
0: well and it wouldn't even make any sense with a portable because i mean what's the sense of having a portable right a macbook that 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 the the startup drive is tied to an external drive i mean in theory you could do it but I mean, there's no right. way Apple would Well, you could it. also,
1: you know, if you have one of the older MacBook Pros with the optical drives, you could do the thing where you swap, swap it out for another hard drive bay right. and stuff. You know, that's, I've done that. It's, it's, it's a decent setup. Anyway, so Fusion Drive, whether you get it built in or whether you do the hacky commands to enable it yourself on the command line, um, Fusion Drive is good. And if you're going to buy a computer where that's an option, if you don't want to go all the way to the all SSD, or if you can't afford it, or if you need the space of the Fusion drive, then do the Fusion drive. It is way better than the hard drive. And whatever, I think they charge a couple hundred dollars to get it over just a hard drive. I actually I have it in
0: front of me, I could tell you. So, uh, new iMac, default hard drive, is one terabyte spinning hard disk. If you want to upgrade to a Fusion drive, one terabyte, so same storage capacity, but now it's a Fusion drive, it's a $200 add-on. The worth 3, it, no three terabyte is add 350. So it's 150 more than the 1 terabyte.
1: Definitely worth
0: it. Yeah, and, you know, so that's that's great. And then here's the pricing on a pure flash storage drive. So 256 gigabytes is $200. So that's the same as the 1 terabyte Fusion drive. 512 gigabyte SSD is a $500 add-on. And then the the big one, the 1 terabyte SSD is a thousand dollar add-on,
1: right? So you can see, you know, this this gets expensive quickly, right? And then and all so, of a sudden, I'm
0: looking at an iMac that I would not, I, I would definitely think twice about replacing nine months from now, you know, if a Retina comes out,
1: right? Because now it's four thousand dollars, right? So F- Fusion Drive is very good. It is substantially better than hard drives, no question, but it isn't as good as a pure SSD, and this is not. I ran a fusion drive for a while before I bit the bullet and just bought a big SSD. Um, so, first, I did, I, I've, over the last few years, I've, thanks to the freedom of the old Mac Pro, I've experimented with a lot of these different things. I first had two different small SSDs uh, over the years, and I would do like, you know, the home directory on the SSD or do everything on there and then try to symlink certain big directories off onto hard drive and stuff like that. So, I've, I've done a few arrangements there. Then I did a do it yourself fusion drive. And then I did a real big SSD, uh, with with no more spinning disks in the machine, and all of those things are very different. And the real few, the real SSD that has no spinning disks involved whatsoever really is substantially faster. And most importantly, it is more consistent. Fusion Drive has this this you know this buffering system where most of the time it can be very fast, but then if you do something that it doesn't expect that's not cached, or if you if you try to write too much data and it fills up with the write buffer faster than it writes it out you can start you can hit these things where all of a sudden things will get a lot slower as it has to use the spinning disk more than it thought it would need to
0: yeah you can rob peter to pay paul for a while but eventually peter's peter's going to come back and want his money back right because
1: the way fusion drives work is they have this this system where they they move frequently used blocks to and from a 128 gig ssd and then they reserve I think four or eight gigs or two gigs, something like that. Some some small single digit number of gigs. They reserve that as a write buffer, so all writes go to that first and then get buffered out to the spinning disk over time. Um, and so and they so there's a system going going on behind the scenes that's shuffling stuff back and forth. But the idea is it tries to put the most frequently used stuff onto the fusion or onto the SSD. But because the SSD is you know, a tenth the size or a thirtieth the size of the hard drive, it's not going to be able to fit everything on there, and so it, it's going to guess wrong sometimes. And you're going to have to hit the hard drive here and there, and so it makes for a very uneven experience. in 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 my in my uh, experience, at least, like it's a very inconsistent, uneven thing where where you'll have a fast system most of the time, but then all of a sudden something will beach ball and page, and you'll hear the hard drive and you're like, "What? What? This this is slow? Come on! I used to this yesterday." You know, like it's it's not as good. So it is way better than a hard drive which is that slow all the time right. for everything. <laughs> it's way better than a hard drive. I, but if you can afford to get the all SSD, it is worth it. And I, and I take issue with any kind of comparison that said that like, you know, when I I was putting out comparisons with like, you know, if you configure a Mac Pro and an iMac with equal specs, uh the price difference is actually pretty small. And a lot of people took issue with that saying, "Well, no." The iMac, you can get the Fusion Drive. It's the same thing. Trust me, it's not. Right. And that's why, you know, if you're going to make a price comparison between the Mac Pro and the iMac, you should really do a fair comparison where they both have all SSD storage.
0: Uh, one of the reasons that I've been, I've had this MacBook Pro that's my main desktop since 2008 is that I forget exactly when I did it, but I, um, it's been a while though. It might've been like 2010 or so. So like I think two that was years. also with Dan yeah two years after i bought it, and i replaced the hard drive with an s s d as the startup drive and it's uh i think it's a two hundred gigabyte yeah it's a two hundred gigabyte drive um and it made such a difference that it felt like i bought it it felt like a it like i bought a new macbook pro like it it felt like i have had a brand new machine that was way faster than the old one. So it, it feels still feels to me like a three-year-old machine or a four-year-old machine, not a six-year-old machine because it was so much faster just replacing that. That's not a oh, great yeah. example compared to an iMac either because iMacs can have faster drives than portable, you know, mobile drives. But it is still, a, it's a night and day difference.
1: I mean, that more than anything, you know, I, I've been analyzing and writing about debating between laptops and desktops for years now because I'd always face those questions myself. And one of the reasons why I used to justify going Mac Pro only in the past uh, instead of just getting a laptop was there was this massive difference between the performance of desktop hard drives and laptop hard drives Uh, because the desktop hard drives could be so much bigger, could use so much more power, they were able to just completely mop the floor with with laptop drive performance. Now, though, that gap is way smaller. And now the gap is gone, effectively, because SSDs are tiny and they don't use any power. Even the good ones are tiny and don't use any power. So, you get the exact same SSDs, or these PCI Express modules, you get the exact same ones between laptops and desktops. So now you have the exact same disk performance, and it's amazing. It's (laughs) shockingly fast. Thousands of times faster than old hard drives. So, the gap between laptops and desktops has closed more than anything because of ssds
0: the other thing that it heralds is is like the end of of physical feedback from your computer but and we talked on the previous episode we recorded you know about the old days of the 80s and 90s and and modems and uh floppy drives and you know, spin, even today, a spinning hard disk, you can hear it. it yeah, makes, just that sound of the hard drive grinding in your 90s PC when you did anything. Right, but older hard drives were a lot louder, and floppies yeah. were louder. I mean, you'd feel it. You could feel a, a floppy being used physically. Um, you could always feel on a uh, on a MacBook, when it had a DVD in it or a CD, you could feel the spinning. uh you know and we don't think about it with iOS devices cuz iOS devices have always been SSD only but you know as hard drives die out uh it's like the last physical it's you know i don't know there's something about that where i still associate computers like a, a computer that you're using hard you can somehow hear it and feel it and that's it's like no longer the case by oh, all yeah. reports especially the...
1: like the new Mac Pro it has it has one moving part, the fan. That's it. That's crazy. If you look, the, even most Macs have more than one fan. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> by know, all like,
0: reports so far, the the Mac Pro fan is pretty darn quiet and there's a pretty decent chance that the other ambient noise in whatever room you work in, you won't be able to hear the fan above it.
1: Yeah. And that's amazing. You know that and you know that's that's probably one of the reasons why they don't have any hard drive bays. They didn't even bother with that. They don't have you know any certainly any optical bays. I don't think anybody even cares anymore yeah. about that. Um, you know that one of the reasons why is because they were all the advantages they were able to have with this this enclosure by just having one central place where all the heat goes and then one nice big quiet fan to blow it out. That's awesome. And for so many reasons that's just cool. And it's it's an amazing thing that you have not only a computer, but the highest end computer in the lineup that only has one moving part, and you don't even hear it. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, I don't even mean to imply that I'm nostalgic for it, I'm, and I'm not quite to Syracusan levels, but uh, I've always been annoyed by loud computers and loud fans, uh, and and certainly like humming or or a, you know certain frequencies of a you know anything you can hear.
1: Oh, that's one area when I was when I was building my own PCs back when I was a PC guy. Uh, I I spent so much money and bought so many weird things to try to quiet my computers down. I've I had like these mounts for the hard drives that had these big like rubber band kind of gaskets in them. That you so you'd, the hard drive would be like suspended in rubber bands. And I had Dynamat, which people are supposed to use on car doors when installing car stereos that vibrate too much. I had Dynamat lining my case and this special like carpet material from Germany that was supposed to make the case even quieter and these. Giant heat sinks with these big, giant, slow fans. I I spent hundreds of dollars trying to achieve the volume levels of every Mac. E- even even towards the end of that time, even Dells were you know even like PCs from regular vendors were shipping that were quieter than what you could build yourself because they would get the big fans, the big heat sinks. And right. It was this constant battle. And well, do you want your computer to be fast and have this you know hot GPU and hot CPU and three or four hard drives, or do you want it to be quiet? And now you don't have to make that choice anymore. Now they're just all quiet, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I think it's the sort of thing that once hard drives really do go away, and for, you know, an awful lot of people, especially, you know, anybody with a MacBook Air who really lives off it on a day-to-day basis, hard drives are the thing of the past. Or I guess the new MacBook Pros, right? They're all SSD. Yeah,
1: all the retinas are all SSD. Uh,
0: In hindsight, once that happens, the idea that your computer used to make noise and you'd feel it spinning and vibrating is going to seem so antediluvian, you know, that it'd be like like it's a Rube Goldberg contraption, you know, that there were like marbles going down a slide that shot over, uh, (laughs) you know, a flame and ran into a series of dominoes that were set up. And if they fell exactly right, then your data would come out as it was intended.
1: That pretty much is how they work. Right.
0: Like, I really do think, uh, you know, uh, even my son, who's 10, but, you know, certainly for, for Adam, it's the idea that your computer spun around real fast to read the ones and zeros, <laughs> and you could hear it. You would just hear it going as it worked, and then, you know, you'd know, like, you'd get worried in the old days, you'd know to get worried when you stopped hearing your computer, because that meant, you know, something terrible had happened.
1: (laughs) It was, it was actual feedback that was useful. Right. I mean, and to think, you know, to to think that not only, not only did we have all this motion and physical noise, but when you think about what, what these hard drives actually do, so that, be, you know, before before I did SSDs, I'd experimented with fifteen thousand RPM desktop hard drives from you know the Western Digital Raptor series that nobody should ever buy because it's not worth it. Um, but you know, like to think that here here's this drive that even even in laptops, it's it's pretty amazing that this works at all. This tiny little drive that has these big platters in them that spin at over seven thousand RPM sometimes 15,000 RPM for the good ones, and have these little tiny heads floating, like, nanometers above the head, or nanometers above this platter that's spinning super fast, and this little head moves around, like, hundreds of times per second trying to, like, read this data as it passes under the head. I mean, the idea that that works at all, that that ever worked, and that it worked reasonably well for all this time, that's amazing. That That is, I think, even more uh, Rube Goldbergian than, than anything else. Like just the, the way hard drives work at all and the fact that they do work at all is shocking.
0: Yeah. My parents, iMac, old iMac went belly up before Christmas and, uh, the hard drive went belly up, but they were due for an upgrade anyway. And, and so I talked them into, and, you know, like typical old people, they just thought you should fix it because you don't just buy new computers. Um, but I talked him into getting a new iMac instead. And I tried to explain how a hard drive works to them. And I really, I don't think they'd believe me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems ridiculous. Right. Like, and, and the more you learn about it, the more crazy and impossible it seems.
0: Right, but and even though SSDs do the same thing and, and the result is equally amazing, knowing how it works makes perfect sense. Right, and and there's there's some complexity in like how their controllers work,
1: but the fundamental part of how the data is stored and read is is way simpler and much more sensible sounding. You know, another thing too, like a lot of people reminisce about uh, the iPhone One enclosure. That you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, all the of all the iPhones, the the best feeling one or the one I liked the best, the one that looked the best, the one that was best in your hand was the iPhone One. And I disagree with that for a major reason that most people never talk about. It ran warm. Mm. And I normally have pretty warm hands, so it's uncomfortable if I'm holding something warm for a while, then my hands starts to sweat. That sucks. And so I was never that comfortable with the iPhone one because if you used it to do anything, not you know, not, not even heavy duty stuff, if you were just doing anything on it, even browsing the web, for more than five minutes, maybe. It would be like really warm to the touch and uncomfortable.
0: I don't know if that's fair though to hold that against it because that's it's I think when people say that they're just talking about it as like, let's just say, all, like comparing all iPhones ever made power off as just physical objects that you're going to carry and judge before you even see the OS because otherwise you get into, you know. Uh, you certainly get into performance, which gets better year over year significantly. I mean, what was the stat that they gave at the 5S event? It was like four, yeah, it's like forty four, times, forty eight times faster. Yeah. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. It's absurd. But you also get into things like, well, you know, iOS 1.0 was really rudimentary, didn't have apps. You know, I I, I think when people sing the praises of the original iPhone, they mean it purely in the industrial design sense, and that you know. Uh, and even not even counting screen resolution, just what it felt like powered off. Right, and as long as you didn't try to
1: plug in any headphones that were on Apple headphones. Um, did but, it have yeah, problems
0: so with non-Apple headphones?
1: It just you know the the shape of the jack where the oh, plastic came right, up because did, it was like little. Yeah. I had to like I had to like cut one of the ad- one of the plugs down, like cut off some rubber on. Anyway, um, so you know, looking back, I the heat was annoying. Right. Well, I think now, you know, talking about how computers have been radically getting better, um, as the whole world has moved primarily towards laptops as their PCs instead of desktops over the last 15 years or so, um, I think it's very... We've gone through this period of laptops even up until two or three years ago where it was perfectly normal for them to work pretty hot. And so if you were using your laptop to do something even moderately substantial just uh, using for it. yeah just yeah just using it regularly you know typing some emails going browsing the web you know maybe playing a video any of that stuff uh that that's considered like you know moderate usage or even light usage these days um it would get noticeably warm and it would radiate the heat out the keyboard right onto your hands <laughs> and so that was ungraceful you know it felt like all of our old vibrating blinking computers of the old days it's ungraceful it's uncomfortable it's annoying um, and even now, like now, the laptops have gotten so good that you know, and a combination of both power management getting very good, so it it uses it creates less heat, but also the the ventilation designs, especially of the Retina MacBook Pros, uh, the ventilation designs are so good that it doesn't even get noticeably hot under normal use anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you can make it get hot if you really try, but you
0: have to really try.
1: There's that whole like, argument
0: that we call – everybody calls them laptops. or I mean, there's also right. a notebook. But it, should you say laptop or notebook, and and the argument in, front of, in favor of notebook has always been that most people don't actually use them on their lap. It's sort of a stupid word. But I usually, if I'm on an airplane, do actually put it on my lap because I find it easier to type with my wrists at lap level than my wrists at like chin level on the – tray in front of me uh, and yeah that's where I really remember noticing it you know that it would get actually hot
1: yeah and it's it's just yet one more area where we've we've kind of made incredible strides and no one really talks about it that computers are way better now than they were even a few years ago for the most part because the most popular kind of computer the laptop um, is finally getting better designed and more efficient with heat generation so that's like one, one more big everyday annoyance that's that's becoming better.
0: Right. It's just clearly overall massive increases in energy uh, efficiency because it's also battery life has suddenly gotten way better. Exactly. Like, in, like year over year. Like buy an iPad Air a year ago and then all of a sudden you're way behind on the battery life curve from the ones that are out now. It's very different than the days when, you know, the year over year thing was, wow, that went so much faster. Now maybe that can
1: finally get you to upgrade your air.
0: I gotta upgrade that too. I don't want to talk about that. I <laughs> do want to talk about it. our our first sponsor, and it's our friends at uh, Backblaze. You guys know Backblaze. They sponsored the previous episode. They've been here before. Online backup, five dollars a month, native Mac OS ten software, it's unlimited unthrottled as much data as you have in your Mac you can back it up uh, and it's uncomplicated they have an iOS app to access uh, and share any of your files so you back up your whole Mac to backblaze you are out of the house you're on your iPhone you can get access to any of the files that are backed up to backblaze right through the app Uh, you can restore one file or all your files easily with the with their restore features Uh, it's founded by ex-Apple engineers. It runs native on your Mac. It's updated for Mavericks. And and that to me is such a huge deal because it's not just some kind of janky thing that's meant for Windows and they have a Mac client. This is a service that is for Mac users by Mac users slash engineers. Um, and it's no-nonsense offer. There's no add-ons or gimmicks or additional charges. Uh, you just pay $5 per month per computer and you get unlimited, unthrottled backup for that computer. Couldn't be easier. And it's a super, super good deal. Uh, it's the simplest online backup program to use. You just install it and it does the rest. Uh, what, it's just $5 a month, you'll sleep so much better with the peace of mind, knowing that your whole Mac is backed up. Not just backed up, backed up online, out of your house. So if your house burns down, you get robbed, anything that could go wrong, Right there, if, you're ba- if your only backup is, say, a time machine uh, hard drive connected to your Mac, you don't have to worry about it. You've got something out of the house. You know what it's, I used it's to also, do?
1: It's nice because like you are, you are paying somebody else to worry about your backup. It's no longer just on
0: you. And it's somebody who's a professional at it. Exactly. I used to, uh, before Backblaze, I used to, my off-site plan was that I had two sets of super duper clone backups from my stuff and every time I would go um, home and my uh, you know Amy's and my parents live in the same town I would just take it with me and swap them out uh, with a copy stashed at my parents house but what I was stupid because I and I forget sometimes or I wouldn't have it up to date and then I ended up with like a, a the one that was off-site was like 11 12 months out of date <laughs> right. So I didn't really have an offsite backup. Like anything that revolves, and I thought, well, maybe I could make it more convenient. I could get like a safe deposit box at a bank here near my house. But I don't want to go to the bank on a regular basis. Who does that? Who wants to do? Who wants to take a hard drive to the bank and then get a manager to? I mean, it sounds good, and a bank is in theory a, a nice secure place, but it's stupid. Backblaze, you just install it and it just it's just there. It's just offline and you don't have to worry about it and it's up to date all the time. You don't have to remember to do anything. I think that's a rule—a good rule of thumb is any backup system where you have to remember to do something is not really a backup system. Exactly. And Backblaze is that sort of thing. What do you do? Go to um, backblaze.com slash daringfireball and... Uh, they'll know you came from the show backblaze.com slash daring fireball and you'll find out more great 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 sponsor all right here's what i want to talk about i want to work this out i want to i want to do the definitive discussion on big screen iphones talking of speaking about old iphones and iphone displays because last no no pressure well i don't feel like it should be that complicated no, I, I, hopefully it won't be. But people, it's like the rumor mill is all over the map on this. And um, I guess it was on Friday, the Wall Street Journal. Like the big news of the day on Friday was uh, a report in the Wall Street Journal that Apple is working on two bigger iPhones for this year. Uh, it was like one of them bigger than 4.5 inches diagonal and one of them bigger than five inches diagonal and that one's further along than the other and blah, blah, blah. And I, <laughs> uh, number one, I don't understand how they think one that's in preliminary development in January has any chance of coming out this year. Like that's yeah. not how it works. And I know with the original iPhone, it was a little bit seat of the pants in terms of that, that the industrial design was tweaked a few months before it was unveiled in January, 2007. And, even some of the major components were updated between when it was announced in January 2007 and when it went on sale at the end of June that year. Like, the biggest one is that in January, when it was announced, it was going to have a plastic display. Right. And they made that switch from plastic to Gorilla Glass in between January and June, uh, which is a huge deal. But that's, you know, the original iPhone sold like, a couple of million in the first year like and i'm not saying that was easy i'm sure it was difficult but apple sold 51 million iphones now they weren't all five s's but they sold 51 million iphones in the quarter that just finished like they they can't change things a few months in advance anymore like that's part of the problems that they face in in this era when iphones and ipads are such sell in such remarkable quantities they have to get things set up at least a year in advance if not more and they have to only
1: do things that can be high yield because they have to make so many of them that they you know they can't afford to use like a a cutting-edge screen technology that is going to be low yield for the next 18 months they can't do that in the iphone they can do it maybe in something else but not
0: the iphone so I've started exactly. I completely agree with that. They cannot have low yield. Can't do it. Like they, they might be able to now. Next time they come out with a big new thing, you know, uh, what an uh, iWatch or whatever that you know. Just pick any new thing. It's probably going to start a lot slower than people think. Like you know, uh, uh, armchair analysts who want Apple to come out with a, an iWatch or an Apple TV that that is just as big of a business as the iPad or iPhone. Uh, within a couple of months. Well, that, that nothing ever works that way. New things start slow and build. And in hindsight, you know, the iPhone has grown pretty quick. But you can take chances with yield and stuff like that on a new product that you can't on a revision to an established and super, super popular product like the iPhone. Exactly. Doesn't make any sense. So there right there the Wall Street Journal printed something that to me doesn't make sense and they should know better. Like you know, as reticent as Apple employees are to tell you, you know, any kind of secrets or what they're working on, it it's not that hard to find people who will let you know that the time basic timeline on the hardware for iOS devices is really surprisingly long. It's, you know, I'm not saying they can't change anything a year in advance, but it, it's long, you know, whatever iPhone or iPhones that they're planning to unveil this year, they've been in the works for, you know, years, not months.
1: Yeah, probably at least 18 months.
0: Uh, you know, and it's another example of that mentality is like when uh, the iPad mini came out last year, the first one, and and some people attributed it to the, you know, Nexus 7 or something like that, that it shipped four months earlier. It's like, that, it, it doesn't work like that. They can't. It has nothing to do with, you know, (laughs) trying to defend Apple against copying other people who've made smaller tablets. They just can't – there's no way they could make a new device in four months. It just – it doesn't work like that. Here's the thing. I don't understand this. and, And Bloomberg had a story a couple months ago, halfway similar to the Wall Street Journal thing, about two different sizes of bigger than the current iPhone display. So maybe there is something to it. I don't know. There's two different somewhat reputable news sources that have printed somewhat the same thing. But the Bloomberg story a couple of months ago said the glass was going to be curved along the edges. Um, yeah, I don't see that happening. Well, I don't either. Although I think, and it was ambiguous which way it was going to be curved, like concave or convex. Right. And uh, when, I, when I expressed skepticism about that, on Daring Fireball, some readers suggested that I was thinking about it wrong, and it probably wasn't concave like a lot of these Android phones with curved screens, but it might be the other way, so that they could taper the edges and make the edges seem thinner.
1: Right, yeah, but like, I, I would expect that if there's a curve in the glass or a taper on the glass, it's probably not in the area of the glass that is the display. It's probably you know on the borders, right? It's on gla- the edges it might in order be glass, to facilitate the edge. display, right? Exactly. Um, um, and one thing to consider, so uh, you know, I, I know it used to be the common game where Apple would do these these kind of controlled leaks to the Wall Street Journal and possibly Bloomberg um, in the past, uh, and so there was a certain style which you're very familiar with. There was a certain style of Wall Street Journal story about Apple stuff that you could pretty much identify as a controlled, intentional leak, um, usually to set expectations in the market uh, or to, to kind of confirm or deny some of the hype, etc. Do you think... First of all, do they still seem to do that or has that changed in, in the Cook era? And second
0: of all, do you think this is one of those things? I think it has changed a little, or at least it hasn't happened recently that I could think of. Um, and at the very least... B, I don't think this is one of those at all. I really it, it kind
1: of reads like one that's gone through like two or three levels of telephone.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think so. So the big one, I think the best example of one of those controlled leaks, I think, is weeks in ahead of the original iPad introduction, and I'm pretty sure it was the Wall Street Journal, had a story that, you know, that Apple is definitely working on a tablet computer and that they're targeting a price under a thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> right, and exactly.
0: Everybody took that to mean that that's marketing ease for it's gonna cost nine hundred ninety nine dollars to start. Yep. And it just it, it it was very clear and there wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't anything else to the story really to the league. It was they're working on a tablet, uh, and it's gonna be under a thousand. And everybody took that to mean it's gonna be nine ninety nine to start. And probably you know, with configurations, you know, a hundred dollar you know, increments above that for higher capacity. So then when the iPad came out and it started at $499, it felt like it was half the price everybody in the room had been expecting the whole event long. You know, it was 45 minutes into the event and everybody was like, well, this is pretty cool. I don't know if this is a $1,000 thing though. And then all of a sudden they're like $499 and it felt like, wow, Apple just totally wowed me with a price yeah that was masterful. This doesn't seem like that because this doesn't seem like they're setting up any kind of any kind of way to it's like a controlled leak from Apple to me is one where it seems like they're setting up a way to under promise and over deliver and whereas saying just saying that there's two bigger iPhones coming out doesn't do either of those
1: well i think they've they've also used them in the past to kind of calm people's fears of what they might not be doing um like to say like you know don't worry we got this right you know like like yeah we know we're supposed to make a bigger iphone don't worry you know we'll have one shortly you know i I think that's if this is a controlled leak, i think that's the reasoning for it um not not to set expectations too too low and then over deliver but to to tell people like you got it yeah you don't have to worry you don't have to bail on us uh you know you don't have to switch platforms if you want a bigger screen. Don't worry, we're going to make a bigger screen finally, you know. That's, that's I, I think that's the reason.
0: I, so I don't think it's I wouldn't rule it out and for just that reason. I guess that is a, there's a logical reason where they why they might. The two thing though confuses me tremendously. Yeah,
1: that's that's also Yeah, so the fact that they're saying there's two new ones. I think not only is unlikely, but it's a really weak story the way they've written it. Like, oh, this one's really kind of early because lots of stuff isn't really development. it doesn't mean it's going to come out, you know. And then the way it's written with like not with actual screen sizes, but just saying it's going to be larger than X, right? So the small one's going to be larger than four and a half, and the big one's going to be larger than what five, five and a half, whatever it is. Yeah. it's like that's a that's a weird way to say it. Like that's it's it's just kind of odd. That's why I think it looks like this has kind of been churned a couple of times and something some somebody somebody heard something wrong or interpreted something wrong along the way and it is entirely possible
0: that like one explanation for the um for the leaks for the story in the journal and the one in bloomberg which kind of matches is that they come not from apple but from asian suppliers who make screens and it could be that apple has placed you know not significant like hey they're ramping up production but significant they're trying to build a lot of test devices for multiple screen sizes and you know that they've built prototypes of 4.8 inch iphones and 5.3 inch iphones or or well, the suppliers may have, may have no idea what the devices are that they're built that they're buying. Though four point eight inch touchscreens and five point three inch touchscreens, and they're guessing that they're for bigger iPhones. And because they've bought both, they've passed this along. And the journal and Bloomberg both presume that just because Apple has prototypes, that they're all going to be real products or shipping products. That to me makes sense. That the, it's just they're just underest, just completely misunderstanding how apple does product development
1: right and you know the other thing too looking at the timing of these announcements and 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 the scale of the iphone uh the iphone has reached a scale where it's very hard to surprise us with hardware anymore and you can look at the last few releases uh, as evidence that usually you'll start getting parts leaks for the iphones like three to six months before they actually come out it's you know pretty far ahead of time. I mean, didn't we? I think we had parts leaks for one of the either the five or the five S. I think we had them like in February. Or yeah, something, you that know, sounds like amazing. It was right. it, we had them like so long in advance because they have they have to involve so much manufacturing to get this kind of rollout on this massive scale device uh, that they get like somebody always leaks on this massive amount of people involved here and. So whatever they're planning on doing with the iPhone it's going to it's going to creep up on us gradually. It, you know, it's going to be very clear what they're doing um hardware-wise, you know, physical size-wise. It's going to be very clear what they're
0: doing probably by June quite possibly. I think it it's worth taking a step back. And I know I've written about this. I know you've written about it at uh, at marco.org. I don't know that anything we'll say is new, but I feel like if we put it all together, it'll make more sense of the big picture. And the w- first thing I think you have to ask is, what problem are you trying to solve with a bigger screen iPhone? Because there's no way they're ever going to make it if it doesn't actually solve a real problem. Right now, it in one sense it could just be a pure marketing problem, and I think that this one is it is some, to some degree true, where there are some number of people who, when they decide what to buy as their next phone, that they want a bigger iPhone or bigger display than the, than the iPhone has today. And that means that they're not going to buy an iPhone. They're going to buy an Android or maybe a Windows phone. But there's no other choice. And there are people, there's absolutely, no doubt in my mind, there are people who, are, who that's like the first thing on their mind when they're buying their next phone. And it could be that they're, the phone they're replacing, They've just considered the display to be too small. Uh, and I think that's – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's sort of been your argument that you – the reason you believe Apple probably is working on a bigger screen iPhone is just that there, there's too much – they're leaving too much money on the table by not selling to the people who that's their primary decision.
1: Oh, yeah, and and that's actually getting—it's going to get worse if they don't address this. Um, as our friend Ben Thompson points out on, on Stratechery—I Stratechery? get this wrong every time. Close enough. Ben Thompson's site—sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, as he pointed out recently, um, Apple's next wave of growth is going to happen in Asia, and the bigger screen devices are very popular there. Especially at the high end, right. uh, which is where Apple competes, um, the thing things like the Galaxy Note uh,
0: sell very well in in a lot of the Asian countries. Right, and the Galaxy um, Note is truly humongous. I mean, it's like yeah. five point seven. I mean, it really, you know, it it on the f- tablet to smartphone scale, it really is closer to tablet than phone.
1: Right, and and so for Apple to continue not to have a bigger screen phone in their lineup. As they grow more into Asia, that's going to that's going to hurt them more than it has in the U.S. You know, in the U.S., there are lots of these big screen phones, and we see them. We see comparisons. We see the iPhone losing those comparisons, um, and we see some people who buy them. But percentage-wise, as far as I know, the data shows they aren't actually incredibly popular. Like there are, they, they do sell, but they're not like insanely popular uh, compared to how they are in in Asia. So. It's certainly more pressing for for the for that sales and marketing reason. It's becoming more pressing as time goes on for Apple to address this, purely because of the the different markets in which they're now going to expand. So so that that's one issue. But there you know it is certainly still a marketing issue even even in you know the U.S. and other places that that are that buy like us where we've seen. I mean, I've seen so many people who buy Android phones. Instead of iPhones, because of the screen size, and and this this applies to this applies down the whole spectrum from from geeks all the way down to you know s- extreme novices, people who want the bigger screen because bigger screens are nice for a lot of reasons. You know, it's it does lead to a bigger phone, which is bad for some reasons, but for a lot of people, the bigger screen is really important the, and is often the biggest buying factor for why they pick
0: the phone they pick. The, because the, the trade off math is multi variable. It's right. not just a simple one factor this way, one factor this way, decide. It's very many variables.
1: Well, and like when phones, back, back in, the, in the flip phone era, when, when, when the Motorola Razor came out, like when phones were pushing to get smaller and smaller and smaller, what they were mostly doing was getting thinner. It wasn't, you know, people didn't require their phone to be super narrow and short, what was really cool was making it thin because that would make it fit more gracefully in a pocket than having this basically bulge that made you look like a nerd. Although we wouldn't care, but everyone else does. So, you know the the thing that you know the, this wisdom that phones need to be small. Um, what they really need to be is thin, and they just need to be thin and fit gracefully in a pocket. But you can make a pretty nice sized screen that still fits gracefully into into like most jeans pockets and as long as the whole body of the phone is relatively thin. So i don't think you need to have your phones be small anymore. And i think i think the market is validating that and has been validating that for years that you know it, it there's always going to be people who like the smaller phone. But people also like bigger screens and and they do more with their phones now and, and more computing type tasks where their where a big screen helps. And so the standards now are totally different and i think people really like for me, I mean, would you buy one if 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 they made one, say, an inch bigger? So you know, f- or almost five inches. I can't be greater that. than four and a half. I, in quotes, I
0: can't answer that yet because the next thing before we talk about this, which is okay, marketing-wise, there is a there is a problem to be solved, but you can't just solve it by saying make a bigger iPhone. It has to there has to be a specific. It has to be specific. It has to have an exact pixel count. And well, here, you, here, I think
1: you could solve about two thirds of it without that.
0: Well, but here's the thing: you, when people say they want a bigger phone, there's two ways to make a bigger phone. One would be to make everything bigger, and that you're saying, I, in loose terms, you're solving a, a, a vision problem that. And and the easiest way to do this, and many people I'm not this is not original. I think you've even written about it, but let's just say it would be like the the to make it like the iPad mini to iPad Air, the exact same pixel count. So it would be eleven thirty six vertically by six forty horizontally. And instead of at three hundred thirty two pixels per inch, it would be at like the iPad air's resolution, two hundred sixty four pixels per inch, it comes out to like four point nine inches diagonal. Yeah, 4.94. The software would just run. And so the relationship between big iPhone and smaller iPhone would be exactly the same as iPad mini to iPad Air. Right. And the problem that it would solve is that if you think text is too small to read on your phone and that pictures aren't quite big enough, you want video to be a little bigger but the exact same resolution, buy the bigger one. That's not what everybody wants in a bigger iPhone, though. The other problem you could solve is putting more information on your phone, packing more pixels in. And so, you know, Apple doesn't compete on specs all the time. In fact, famously, sometimes does stubbornly doesn't. But there are Android phones with true 1080p displays. So it's like 1920 by 1080 pixels which is a lot more pixels than an iPhone 5 or 5S. So Apple could go that way and make a 5-inch phone with who knows what the exact pixel count would be, whether it be 1920 by 1080 or something that's um, more aligned with the dimensions that they've used before. Um, And... Keep the resolution at 332 pixels per inch or even increase it and go to like 400 pixels per inch like HTC has in some of their phones. Uh, and, you know, just make a new size target for developers. You'd have to target a second size. Um, and then you'd have the same size text that you're physically same size text as you're looking for, but you'd be able to fit more of it on screen. Well, that's exactly, you know, you can't, one phone can't solve both problems. And I don't yeah. know. I, I, I can't see. You can't solve both problems. And if I think Apple is more likely to go the, I, I th- say, judging by past history, to go the first route, meaning keep it at 1136 by 640 and just make it bigger. And then they have a big phone and they would keep, sell it alongside a new next generation iPhone, you know, six that has this four inch screen and it would be like the iPad Air and iPad Mini. And the tech press would go into... They'd have, like, strokes. They'd go into conniptions because the resolution is so low and, you know, Android phones have, you know, 1920 by 1080 and true 1080p and all this stuff. Uh, That sounds like exactly the sort of thing where when the tech people go into conniptions over the specs, that sounds like something Apple would do.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know going past a certain dpi uh, you're just wasting battery life and cost you know like it like once you can no longer see the pixels anymore, there's not a lot of reason to go much past that point so like you know there's I, I believe there was a couple Android phones that came out that had like a four hundred dpi screen yes yeah that is way past that point right. where that is that is great for marketing for to nerds not to anybody else, but it's great for marketing to nerds but you're killing the battery. You're killing the GPU uh, for for no real benefit that people are going to actually notice. Right. You're only so,
0: you're only really marketing towards like the Verge and Engadget readers who don't right. want a great screen. They want a 1080p screen. Right.
1: So so that's that's you know problematic. So I'm not saying Apple doesn't have to go any further than where they are now. I don't know where that point is, but certainly that point exists, and I'm pretty sure it's before 400 DPI. Um, And if you look at iOS and, you know, hints... You know, you said earlier with, like, the high DPI support they added to Mac OS ten, and that was, like, a hint of what's coming. Well, if you look at iOS and the hints of what's coming, um, you see both sides. You see auto layout being added in iOS 6. uh, And auto layout's like, well, of course. Now they can add another... They can add multiple phone sizes, and it'll be easier to support, uh, which is true. And then iOS 7 comes along, and it has dynamic text size. (laughs) And you can say, well... Now they can just keep the same resolution, blow everything up, and let users adjust the text size system-wide, which is also true. So there's support on both sides pr- of pretty much equal weight. You can look at the iPad Mini versus iPad Air. That's a huge example of saying, well, they did it like this here, and it works just fine, and nobody really complains, uh, although it was the opposite direction. Uh, so there's there's that issue. So I don't know. I I think it would, it would solve a lot of their... Uh, a lot of the demand for a bigger phone I think would be solved both ways and so they could do the easier way of saying well we'll just make everything bigger um, but also the iPhone is such a major product such a major platform for developers that they could g- just go ahead and add another size and say to de- hey developers suck it up you know and if they are planning on adding two models if that actually is the truth whether it happens now or or we get one now and one the next cycle um, maybe those two models both have the same resolution that is higher than the current resolution. Right. Pixel count. So maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they, they add a higher resolution than what we have now and they apply that same resolution to both of those new models, one's just bigger than the other. So maybe that's how it's done. Uh, the iPhone, again, it's a big enough product, they could go all these different ways. Um, one thing I, want, I wanted to mention also, I, I brought up this email for this show, I got an email from uh, a reader, and I haven't gotten permission to use his name yet, um, so I'll leave him anonymous for now, but he he pointed out that, you know, a lot of the arguments that, that you and I have both fielded, uh, and along with other people, is like, well, they can just take one of the existing screens they're making, and, you know, as the panel's being manufactured, just cut them to different sizes and to make a new size screen of the same DPI. Uh, but as this reader pointed out... Um, that's kind of weak because historically they haven't really done that because a lot of times when they change, when, when they bring an old screen uh, density to a new size, they change the screen technology too. So yeah. like he, he pointed out um, like the 3GS had had a TN display and the iPad mini was IPS. Yeah. So that that broke completely. And then like, you know, there's some of them have different substrates. Like some of them will be uh, LTPS. Some of them will be IGZO um amorphous silicon for some of them
0: like you know like there's all these different technologies that are being changed also so and the iPhone 5 and 5s while they are at 332 dpi the same dpi as the iPad mini the f- iPhones have full RGB spectrum, and they have that thing where they're fused to the glass, which is different than the cutting of the thing, but they're, you know... Right.
1: I don't but know. All the point is, like, all this stuff is different enough as as technology progresses and as the screen technology gets better and, and changes and gets lower power and more colors and everything else. Um, the likelihood of them, like, cutting the same panels to, to two different sizes for two very different products, especially uh, across a couple of years... Uh, becomes pretty small. And yeah. so it, like if they're going to retool everything anyway or use a different process anyway, then they can change DPIs too. Right. So I don't think we need to put too much weight into, oh, well, they can just multiply this DPI into this technology.
0: I would say it not so much that it's any kind of um, manufacturing convenience, but just that they've done it, because they've done it with the iPad, and because the math works out pretty clearly that at the the 264 pixels per inch resolution of the iPad Air, uh, an iPhone would be 4.9 inches, which is noticeably not humongous, not, you know, absurd. It's right in line with a lot of, you know, market-leading Android phones, but noticeably bigger than the iPhones we have today. Yeah, you know?
1: it, it would put it solidly into the large-screen phone Category and and it would be able to hold itself there for a long time, yeah. but it wouldn't put it into the like make fun of you ridiculously big tablet on your face
0: category, right? Especially with the ground that's already been broken by Android phones, exactly right. And and I know other people when I've brought this up often say that if you go by the math that Steve Jobs used when he introduced the original Retina display about how far people hold their phones from their eyes and blah 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 that that uh, it's they call the iPad Air screen retina because you hold it further than you do a phone and a (laughs) phone, it wouldn't... 264 pixels per inch wouldn't count as retina. You know what? If they call that one retina, they would call this one retina. retina, That's why retina is such a beautiful marketing bullshit term. Retina means whatever they want it to mean.
1: Right. I mean, you know, nerds like us sometimes will try to overanalyze that and do that math. Right. Well, you know who doesn't care at all about that math? Apple. Right. They don't give a crap. They will call... Retina retina you know if it's if it's just under that threshold but it's pretty
0: close they'll call it that you know it doesn't it doesn't need to be exact if, if you're using at 2x uh, right resources and a point is equal to four actual pixels that's retina It has exactly. nothing to do with how far you hold your phone from your eyes and and whether you can where at what point you can discern the, the, the pixels.
1: Yeah, I I would say that the pixel distance thing is really a guideline, maybe. You know, yeah. it's it's a general category. <laughs> it's it's not
0: set in stone. So here's the one thing I, I I do think though that introducing a second iPhone size it 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 raises the big question to me is let's say it it's true that they're gonna release one this year. Which I think is a lot more likely than two. Because with two, I do not understand how they say that how how they tell a story that this makes any sense. You know, that there's two bigger iPhones. Um but if they release one, and it's let's just say roughly five inches diagonal, give or take, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Do they is that the one and only new iPhone top of the line? And and the 4-inch is relegated to the second tier, currently occupied by the 5C, or do they do it like the iPad, where there's two sizes both top of the line? That's like a good there, question. There would be a new... like Let's just call it the iPhone 6, for lack of a better word. Are there going to be two, like an iPhone 6... An iPhone 6 mini. I don't think those are the words they would use. But, iPhone 6 plus sized. But just to put it in the context of the iPad so that it's clear which one I'm talking about. Uh, they could. I don't think that's ridiculous. And honestly, it's what I hope they would do because I think I would, to answer your question from 10 minutes ago, I think I would still prefer the smaller one. Especially if it's the same pixels display. If it's the same pixel count, I'm almost certain I want the smaller physical device. If they make a new one with, you know, a lot more pixels, I might have to see. I might I might have to withhold judgment until I see. But I can I can better imagine an eleven thirty-six by six forty five-inch iPhone, and I would just rather have a small one. But i I if they only come out with one with new specs and a new camera and a new A8 CPU and it's five inches. I think I'm going to be unhappy. Right, so here's something big to consider.
1: With the iPhone as it's gone so far, and with, with all Apple product lines, really, um, they very rarely give themselves or are given permission by the market to to make things bigger or heavier. Uh, so, you, you know, the iPad 3 was, was, was an exception and, and they kind of got panned for it. Um, The MacBook Pro got heavier at one point by like a tenth of a pound. But for the most part, things get smaller and thinner and lighter. And so the iPhone 4-inch line doesn't really have permission to ever get thicker. Um, But if they had the separate size that they're starting fresh, what if they launch a bigger iPhone that not only has a bigger screen, but is like, you know, 20% or 15% thicker. And that allows them to put in a substantially nicer camera and a substantially longer life battery.
0: Well, see, now that's more tempting. But it also, I don't know, it also sounds more like that wanting them to build for us and not for the mass market.
1: Okay, sure. Look at the mass market. And how many of those people uh, have this as their primary camera and care about the quality of that camera? And how many of those people have these giant battery cases on their phones? Right. Making the phones big and ugly anyway. You know, and Apple would be able to make it better because they'd have less, you know, casing to add around it. Right. You know? Actually, so like,
0: I don't think most people you see with cases have battery cases. I think battery cases are still fairly rare. But regular, no, you're right. regular, big, ugly things. Make the thing a lot thicker and ungainly than it really is naked cases I mean clearly you know most iPhones are in a case it seems to me i think I, I think if if
1: Apple created a second phone size and they gave themselves permission to make that phone size thicker, then they could make us a, a really really nice phone and it wouldn't you know and they, they could still have the thin one maybe they would even rename the four inch one the iPhone air who cares doesn't matter right uh, maybe they would read it. whatever it is they could advertise that as being still the super thin one they might even be able to make it even thinner cuz it wouldn't have to necessarily have the highest end camera module in it anymore um, and even if they keep the processor the same you know if if there if there's an iPhone 6 4 inch and an iPhone 6 almost 5 inch and they both have the same CPU same RAM same GPU even if it's the same screen pixels but the bigger one has a bigger battery and a nicer camera. That's a really compelling phone. And that's, that's two really compelling phones. They have the small one for people who want the small size, who have always had the small size and don't want to go bigger. And they have the big one to address all those new people, plus take some of those old people
0: up. All right. Hold that thought because that's a good place to pick back up. Let me take a break here and, and thank our th- second sponsor. Uh, and it's our good friends at Media Temple. For years, Media Temple's Grid service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. That's because a single Media Temple Grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to a hundred different client projects, and the Grid is ready for anything. Hundreds of servers work together in the cloud to keep your sites online, uh, even if you hit the front page of Reddit. It's all managed. Through media temples own simple custom control panel and backed by media temples famous 24-7 live support uh, they have virtual private server solutions that are available with their uh, dv developer and dv managed hosting plans and they have a special discount just for you listeners of the talk show here's what you do go to MediaTemple.net, mediatemple.net media temple.net and use the promo code talk show. No the, just talk show, all one word, and you'll save 25% off your first month of web hosting. Uh, go to mediatemple.net. Remember the code talk show. And if you're in the market for web hosting, go check them out. Uh, my thanks to Media Temple. All right, you were saying what if they gave themselves permission to, to to put a bigger battery and thicker, and they could put a better camera in there? And that's interesting, but it's you know, very. It wouldn't have to be like super thick, right? But just it is... just
1: having like you know ten or fifteen percent more thickness would would go a long way for those two things.
0: It's very different though than what they've done with the iPad. But maybe phones are different than so different than iPads that it's not you know it would be the opposite thing because right because that's the thing with the choose, choice between the two iPads is you really only have to choose between size. Do you want a smaller device or do you want a bigger screen? I think that's more, I, in my gut, that tells me what they would do with the iPhone. But your idea is definitely tempting. And it would. your idea makes it a tough decision for me, whereas my idea makes it an easy decision. I'd still want the smaller phone.
1: But see, I, I think if they made a larger one, they would want it to be the higher-end one. Maybe charge 100 bucks more. Either way, like they, they would want it to be the better model.
0: So Greg Naus tweeted this week um, that a standard business card is almost exactly the same size as an iPhone 5 5s display. And so? I never noticed that before. Credit <laughs> cards are roughly the same size too. Well, I I took a business card off my desk and covered the screen to try it. And it's it's true. It's almost it's way closer than a credit card, a business card. So take a business card. All that really matters on the iPhone is the screen, really. I mean, and iOS sort of depends on a, well, really, as it stands today, depends on the home sensor and it has the, the fingerprint thing, which is a big deal now. But if you hold a business card in your hand and pretend it's a phone, it's phenomenally smaller than an iPhone 5S, just as a thing. And so in theory, just to show the same amount of information at the same physical size, the minimum, you know, you, you could make some kind of futuristic sci-fi movie gadget that's a, an iPhone that's the size of a business card. You'd have to do something different. You'd have to replace with the home, you know, the home button somehow. Put it on the back, put it on the side. I don't know. Just, But I'm just saying there's room for the iPhone to get a lot smaller without shrinking the display size which is what that tweet put in my head that if you know like what i call the chin and the forehead on the iphone could have significant room to shrink and if they kept a sort of ipad style you know that the you know the way that the two ipads today look like big brother little brother of the exact same design if they did this and had significantly smaller um chin and forehead on the phone, uh, the big iPhone may not be all that big compared to what we're thinking today based on the chin and forehead size of all the iPhones to date, but the display would be bigger. And the four-inch display one, if they still make them, could be smaller, not just thinner, but it could shrink the other way and sort of come down in size to like what a lot of cell phones used to be before the smartphone era.
1: Well, actually, it's already pretty close. Honestly, it's already pretty close to that threshold. (laughs) Even like the iPhone 5s, looking at it on my desk, like if you compare this to a Motorola Razor, it's even even that that one that came after the Razor that was a little bit thinner too. It's actually not that much larger. It's I think it's even thinner. But uh, you know, I, I think hardware design wise, there's certainly a lot of luxuries to the design they have now, where they they have by having that nice chin and, and uh, forehead area they have room to put components that need as much thickness as possible uh, including things like the camera probably the, probably being the biggest and least flexible one um, but you know also the home button has its own nice little space there, the connectors the speakers, the earpieces, like all these things right. that they have um, but mostly the camera, things that like that you, you pretty much can't make thinner without making them a lot worse um, so...
0: It seems weird to me that so many, nobody else or I shouldn't say nobody. I'm sure there's some Android phone that does it, but it seems like most Android phones put the camera on the back, about where the Apple logo is on iPhones.
1: I don't think that's true, is it? I mean, like I, I know usually it's like centered in like a big blob, but I think usually it's on the top, right?
0: I think if you take a look around at where they are, a lot of them it's it's in front. It it's low enough that it's in on the other side of the display whereas the iPhone's camera is clearly not backed by the display right which i think has right. you know it it lets the sensor go as far back as the glass
1: right which you know and so it it, it needs that you know it, to to make the best camera sensor possible you need as much depth as you're willing to allow right. and uh, and that's and that that's how you get it and so it's a good point you know they they might go make it smaller like that but like, one of the big questions would be, what what happens to the home button? Because, uh, yeah, like, I, right now, the home button... The home button is crammed in there, and the whole... I don't see them making one that's asymmetrical, that has, like, a smaller chin than forehead, or vice yeah, versa. Exactly. So I, I think they're, you know... Appearance-wise, they're going to keep that symmetry going, in all likelihood. Um, but if you make them any shorter, then the home button becomes a problem. Because then you have to make it smaller. Uh, or move it somewhere else like you know there have been all these rumors and maybe it would be on the back with the touch sensor or something like that but yeah which sounds that, that all kind of sucks i think yeah. uh, it doesn't sound good <laughs> so i'm guessing that's unlikely um so i i don't i i think the way they have it now with these proportions gives them the luxury to cram in a whole bunch of big stuff uh in a place that is not dominated by the screen or or that needs Access, you know, either touch access like the home button, or that needs viewing access like the front camera. Like it's, you, you know, you can make a camera that looks through a screen, but it kind of sucks and is kind of not mature enough to really do well yet. So, you know, it, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> so, I think we're going to have this basic design for a
0: while. So, I, I've googled some images. So, like, take a Samsung Galaxy S4. The camera is not as low as I was saying. It's not quite as low as the Apple logo that they have a Samsung logo there, but. It's lower. It's not up in the top. It's clearly, I think, if you flipped it around the other side, it's still backed by the display. But they also the whole thing is in like a nipple. It's raised right. to, to make it further away. I don't. And I, I don't guess... really
1: see Apple doing that either, unless they switch to an all plastic back. Even then, it doesn't seem like Apple style.
0: Yeah, I don't. To I, have like the raised bump no, area, I, think and that, I I don't see that happening. No, I think that they. I think it's so gross a design right. that they. You know, I don't even think it's really considered. I think they would make the whole phone thicker before doing that. Yeah, I agree, and I think that when the that the that the, the problem they pose to their camera team starts with we're going to make a device this thick, and you can't make you can't make the lens stick out at all. Go.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Right? I I really do think that's where it starts when they, you know, pose the problem to the camera team on the iPhone. Here's how thick it's going to be or how thin it has to be. You don't get to raise that lens at all. You can't even just have the glass stick up. I I just brought up the smaller thing just because to me uh, not because it makes all that much sense and again like like you pointed out like there's got to, you got to do something with the home button and there's a lot of my my loose idea here is a lot of yada 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 you know somehow you somehow you find an alternative to the home button i all i bring it up is is that with everybody saying apple has to do a bigger iphone has to do a bigger iphone they're going out of business if they don't do a bigger iphone and now there's rumors of a bigger iphone apple doing a smaller iphone now it, to me it seems like an Apple y thing to do. But maybe, maybe alongside a bigger one.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't is there really a lot of demand? And, and you know, not this not that this has stopped them before, not that this demand wouldn't be created, but is there really a lot of demand for the iPhone
0: to get substantially smaller than what it is right now? See no, but that's not that doesn't mean people wouldn't want it if they right. saw it. Right, it's because the it's the sort of thing that the tech press wouldn't be calling for, and the people who would, if it were, if if it existed, who would get in line to buy it, didn't think to ask for it.
1: Right, but you know, and people people have said this before, uh, so this is not a new insight. But you know, as if anything ever really is. But uh, you know, the, when phones were being pushed to be small. And to be as small as possible, it was because they didn't do that much. All they had to do really was have a dial pad, maybe have some texting ability, and that was about it. Uh, now, though, phones are pocket computers, even for normal people who are not total nerds like us. And so, normal computers, like people, like having a nice size screen. It doesn't have to be huge, but people like having a nice size screen. To and it really does affect. How good the phone is in usage. Right. If you have a nice big screen, uh, or at least a nice medium sized screen, to be able to view photos bigger, view you know read things with bigger text, um, watch movies bigger, like all these things that have now become very common things people do with their phones. Uh, I, I don't think there's as much of a push
0: to get them smaller. Right. Well, I don't because know because
1: now people do so many things that, that really benefit from size. a big screen. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. And a good way to put that too is to go right back to that business card analogy right and and as anybody's ever done print design you know if you've ever designed business cards it's a fun little challenge because it's a small canvas there's not too much information you need to get on but it's very limiting because it's so physically small you can't put too much on um uh, and if you think about it like you would never buy a book printed on business cards or business card sized paper but yet we read books on our iPhones, right? I mean, uh, magazines, you know, whatever you want to call stuff like Daring Fireball and Marco.org. I mean, there's, there's no print analogy to it, but you're reading articles. Nobody read articles before smartphones on business card-sized publications. It's a ridiculously small form factor for reading by the oh, standards yeah. of, of print. Like I, think- I,
1: like I ran my numbers the other day, thirty-one percent of my page views come from smartphones now. Not even including tablets; tablets are a different are another seventeen percent. Thirty-one percent are on smartphones. That's crazy. This is how like people are shifting their entire computing lives onto smartphones. Right.
0: So you know that's why I speculate that if they ever do a smaller iPhone and that's smaller in any way other than thinner. It would not involve a smaller display. Like I don't think we'll ever see an iPhone with a smaller than four-inch sixteen by nine display. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it would only be about shrinking it in other ways. There's not too much room left on the sides. Chin and forehead, in theory, could shrink. But yeah, maybe, and and is... you can
1: see, like with the iPod Touch, they can make it thinner. Yeah, and have this size screen. Yeah. Um, but but you you know you give up a lot of battery for that you give up some of the some of the things inside you give up a lot of the camera quality so it you know there's you can make it thinner but you might not want the resulting device depending on what you value in in the iPhone you know but and one one big thing to consider for the for the large phone though and why this might sell so well and why it might be so important and why I would almost certainly buy one is because so many people and this is especially true in Asia don't usually buy separate tablets and phones uh usually you can almost guarantee that almost anybody who has a modern computer needed enough money um to to buy a smartphone they'll almost certainly buy a smartphone of some sort uh these days Uh, it's very rare that people who who can and want to have a smartphone don't um but a tablet is still very much optional for a lot of people. I might even go as far as to say most people. A tablet is still considered an optional luxury. And so, so many people choose to just have a smartphone and not get a tablet. And, you know, I'm kind of leaning that way, you know, not not in that I wouldn't have an iPad because I, I developed for this platform and I you know, I I'm, I'm into it enough to get one, but every iPad that I get, I find myself using it less and less. And I, you know, I talked to you actually months ago, with the Retina Mini coming out, saying maybe that'll change it because you know the Retina Mini kind of unruined the iPad for me that that the, that the first Mini had ruined. Um, in practice, that hasn't really come to pass. I I still use it pretty lightly. I use it more, but it's still pretty light. I would much rather just have a bigger phone, and that sounds, you know, based on sales especially in asia of these big phones it seems like that's a pretty common uh position to take
0: yeah i'll bet and i'll bet that if it, it sounds right to me and it it jibes with some of the anecdotal stuff i've heard from people on twitter and and email readers um send me that it's it's a stupid word I mean, anything killer is usually not an actual killer of the thing but in some sense, it's a it's an iPad mini killer. Not that it might even hurt iPad mini sales, but that for some number of people, they'd be happier with just a bigger iPhone and no iPad than a smaller iPhone and an iPad mini or an iPad Air. I would even say, like, if,
1: if a big enough iPhone comes out and is, is good enough for me to get, then... I might even switch back to the bigger iPad. Like I might go back to the iPad Air size, and then only upgrade it like every three years, maybe, or every you know, every two years, rather than getting the new one every year. Just because I would use it so much more lightly, and I would be more likely to just leave that one like at home, like next to the bed or something. You know, use it in bed before before going to sleep at night to read some stuff or browse some magazines or New York Times or something. You know, like I I could see myself doing that rather than having this mini that. I think I'm going to carry around, but in reality, I usually don't because it doesn't fit in my pocket. And, you know, it's it's this kind of weird middle portability class. Whereas the smartphone is my primary portable. It I always have it in my pocket. And, you know, th- there's a reason why these big screen phones sell, right? The idea of, of making your primary pocket computer a little bit bigger and a little bit better is really attractive. And, and I would almost certainly get any big phone they make.
0: Right, and I think it's basically about making a display that's more suitable to long-form using, whether you're reading something long or watching a movie or a TV show or some kind of long video or something, but more about long-form usage than glance usage, right? Like if right. you're just turning on your phone and turning the display on to check the weather, it doesn't really matter what size the display is, really. Oh, and one thing I want to say, this is one of those things I have a note that I wrote to myself like half an hour ago. Uh, You had mentioned reading the cues from Apple and that in hindsight, they often make a lot of sense. Another change in iOS 7, which I think clearly could be a hint that they're going for a bigger display, is um, the standard system-wide thumb in from the left side to go back. Right, because so you don't the, have to reach for the back button because the back button is up at the top left. And if you're right handed holding the phone in your right hand, I mean, even with the iPhone 5 and 5s, which went from three and a half to four inches, that button got harder to hit, I think, noticeably so. Uh, and we're you know, if we're talking about a 4.8 inch at the smallest as a bigger iPhone it it effectively becomes not unreachable because you can contort to do it but it you know practically speaking it's not that good and i think that that back button is one of the single biggest things that makes a bigger iphone less usable one-handed whereas just thumbing over from the left is a lot more convenient oh sure you could do it or i should say you could do it no matter how you have your phone gripped in your right hand
1: so that's another, one of those, user, but that's...
0: that's another one of those things where I feel like if they do come out with a bigger iPhone this year and it's hard to get the back button, everybody will say, well, that's why a year ago they shipped iOS 7 with this system-wide thumb in from the left to, to go back.
1: Yeah, a variable could be. I mean, all, that's just a good idea in general, so it could have just been that. Right. But, uh, that's the thing. I mean, like they, they have hints going all different. Most of the hints indicate that they at least are adding flexibility you know like they right. they're adding the ability to swipe it this way or hit a back button. They've added auto layout so it could be this size or it could be a different size and it's easier to adapt. They've added automatic uh, text resizing system wide so that you could scale it to a different size if you wanted to based on physical size or your own preference or whatever else. So like they've added all of these different doors that they could walk through to you know it's like it's like lost season 3 when they added like 15 new characters. <laughs> it's just to open up all these different doors they could use maybe in the future. So this is like this is Apple saying, you know, we we could do any of these things, and we as the customers are not going to know why they did any of these things until we see some of the hardware come out. And even then it might be vague as to, you know, well, was this because of this or was it just because it was a good idea?
0: All right. So let's make some predictions. Do you think Apple is going to come out with at least one bigger screen iPhone this year?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think they're going to do it. Certainly, sometime soon. This year is as good as any. I I would have guessed last year. I did guess last year, and I was wrong. But <laughs> uh, sure, why not this year? And do you think they'll do two? I don't see that happening. Doesn't make any sense to me. At least not in the same year. Maybe they'll add another one some sometime later. But I think the uh, only I don't
0: I don't know. I think the only if is the question I posed earlier is. If they come out with a new, bigger-screen iPhone, do they still keep the 4-inch size as a secondary... Or not even secondary, I don't want to say that, but as a second top-tier spec choice? Right, like, is there a new 4-inch phone also? That's good. Because I think that alone is a tough marketing problem. I don't know why. It somehow... I guess what I think is... And maybe I'm biased and wrong that I just think I like the smaller size and that I'd be bothered by the bigger physical gadget of a 5-inch iPhone. But I do I do believe that. I do believe that all things considered, I'd rather keep the phone the size that it is now for pocketability and the way it feels in my hand. Um, but I worry that from a marketing perspective, that if Apple believes that too, that most iPhone users are better served with the device as it stands today, size-wise. But that it might run into the the buying a TV in a big box store problem, where, I mean, I've discussed this before, I know Syracuse has, but where, the, you know, you go into a Best Buy, and the TVs all have the brightness and saturation turned way up to absurd levels, because when you're looking at them side by side in in a fluorescent-lit big box store, the one that jumps out to you is the one that has the most saturated brightest colors. Even though that's not actually the truest display and it, you know, like wrecks skin tones. And you wouldn't, even if you buy that model TV set, you wouldn't want to configure it the way they have in the store. But it just means that you're not, you're not making an informed decision. You're you're making a decision based on the context of the store. And that likewise with let's say uh, a brand two iPhone 6s, one that's four inch and one that's five inch, people go in the store and they see the bigger one and they think bigger is better and they buy the bigger one. But it's actually a mistake because they actually would have been happier with the one that was smaller and fit in a jeans pocket better and fit in one hand better. And that Apple, that's the sort of problem that Apple uh, has solved for us over the years. By well, they, they go through it in the lab and figure out this is better and we're not going to let you make the de- the the mistake. We're gonna do what's best for most users, even though they're admitting that there's always some users who really would be happier with the big one.
1: You know, looking looking at see, I have I have a very nice scientific um, example here because I'm such a nerd that I have the iPhone rectangle clearly outlined on my jeans pocket. <laughs> and so I can look down and I can see exactly how big the iPhone is when it's in my pocket and how much bigger the pocket is than the phone. And there's a lot of leeway there. Like they if they add a half inch to each dimension of the phone to accommodate that big screen or whatever it would be, you know, it's you're not talking about adding like 4 inches. You're you're know, talking about adding like less than an inch to each dimension. Uh, I think that still fits just fine. I think I think we're we're talking about it's it, we're making a big deal out of this, and it would make the screen a lot bigger. But we're still talking about a device that's still smaller than most
0: pockets. I, I think there's a lot of leeway there. Well, do you think that they would still keep the smaller one around as a new device, or do I... you do you think the only top of the line would be the new big one?
1: I would not make a prediction on that either way. I, I'd give it like a 50-50 chance, you know. like they, I could see them going either way. Think about uh, how hard they, they,
0: they admitted today with the quarterly results that they forecast the 5C versus 5S demand, which was a lot easier to predict, in my opinion, than this, if they were both the same specs.
1: I think it really depends on what the differences would be. You know, like if... If the only if they if they pull an iPad and the only difference is the size, I'd say there's a lot less reason for them to keep both. Uh, but if they if they if they segment it in different ways, if they give the bigger one a bigger battery, a better camera, uh, you know, if they if if they make it better in in easily marketable ways, I can see them charging hundred bucks more for it, and that becomes a new high end model, a new way to get a little bit better margins out of their most profitable line. You know, as they have to sh- as they have to shift lower end and some of their other lines, here's where to keep the margins up. So I can see them I don't keeping wanna,
0: this high end. We don't want to call it... Th- they wouldn't call it the iPhone Pro, but it's sort of what you're talking about, though. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, they wouldn't call it that, but... But it is. It would be like the Mac Pro, but, I mean, maybe less extreme. The, the new Mac Pro is almost extreme, but it's almost. sort of... <laughs> but it's in that dis- in that direction, though, right? You're, the stuff you're talking about, like bigger battery and... Uh, even better camera. Right.
1: You know, like, you know, almost almost what they did this, this year with the 5 and 5C or the 5S and the 5C, but um, shifting it up instead of shifting it down. Right. You know, and, and, and I bet as we see, as we saw how much better the 5S is selling than the 5C, even against Apple's own predictions, I think a lot of people want these upgrades. And I bet, you know, certainly the price would turn off some people, but if they charge 100 bucks more for this, I bet they'd
0: sell a ton of them. I do think it, it makes sense for certain gaps to exist in display size continuum. So for example, with Macs, there's 11 inch, 13 inch, 15 inch. There used to be a 17 inch, and that made some, some sense, but you can also kind of see why they, they put it to pasture. But then there's nothing until you get to 24 inch with the smaller iMac. And it kind of makes sense that there's nothing in between right? Other than the possible room for a 17-inch. But you definitely, I mean, the 17-inch MacBook was so big, clearly you'd never want a MacBook for mass production that was bigger than that. There's A 19-inch MacBook Pro makes no sense. And given the affordability of a 24-inch iMac, it doesn't really make sense for Apple to still make 21-inch iMacs or going even smaller like a 17-inch iMac. That gap makes sense that there's no reason for a mac to have a display in between. When you look at the current iPhone compared to the iPad mini, which is the next step up, it does seem like there's there's a market for at least one device in between.
1: Oh yeah, especially, you know, when you start considering how many people are only going to pick the small one. Like they're not going to so many people are not going to ever have an iPad, but they they right. might have an iPhone. And there's so many times where you don't have that iPad with you, but you have your phone.
0: Right. Something that still fits in a pants pocket, and or fits in a very small handbag that a that a woman might carry. That the iPad Mini still is way too big, right? If you want to put it in your pants right. pocket, you know you've got to be wearing, uh, you know, parachute pants to fit an iPad Mini. Cargo pants, yeah. I guess.
1: Like, it, it'll, it fits, like, in my, my biggest winter jackets. It fits in the coat pocket, you know? But that's it. That's the only, like, the largest pockets I have. Like, you could fit a two-liter bottle of soda in there if you wanted to. <laughs> and you could fit an iPad mini. I'm sure you do every time you shoplift. All the time. Because <laughs> I, I drink a lot of soda, especially out of two liters. And uh, <laughs> But, yeah, like, that, I could fit it in that, but nothing else I wear. So, like, most of the year, I can't transparently carry an iPad Right. Uh, you know, so I so I don't. So it sits at home, and I hardly ever use it. And so I'm less happy with it than I would be. An iPhone, I would I would use the crap out of a big screen iPhone. Cause I use the crap out of any iPhone I have. I'm talking myself into
0: it. I still think I'd prefer the smaller one, but I'm slowly but surely talking myself into the market sense of Apple doing it.
1: And we'll see if if they if I'm right and they make it a little bit thicker and put a better camera in there, you'll get that no question.
0: Yeah, Every, well, okay. all of us will. That would really help, that in my opinion, because I, you know, those are things I really care about. I mean, because I still buy, you know, actual camera cameras. So, I mean, I'm definitely willing to sacrifice something for superior camera. All right, we have a little bit more to talk about before we wrap up this short show, but let me take a break and thank our third sponsor, and it's our good old friends at Squarespace. Now you know Squarespace; they're the all-in-one hosting service that you can do it all right there from Squarespace, you can do a blog, you can do an online portfolio, you can do a store, and they'll handle the e commerce for you. Uh, They have dozens of award winning, responsive, mobile ready templates that you can pick, they're ready to go, and your site will look great. And If you want to tweak it, they have online tools that let you tweak by drag and drop, take this in, put this out, move this over. Or and I'm sure this makes a lot of sense to, to people who listen to, to this show, you can get right in there with the code and you can modify the code. You can modify it a little. If you want to add, uh, let's say, JavaScript injections of your own to, to do a little bit, you can do that. Uh, really, you can tweak it at any level you want uh, and build the website that you need. Uh, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support Uh, Staff right in New York City, uh, which is uh, code speak for their uh, Americans. (laughs) But they're great. (laughs) They're always there. They say 24-7, and they mean it. They're always there. Um, Here's the code. You go there. Use this offer code. There's no more funny URLs. Just go to squarespace.com. The offer code for this show this month is Vesper. They're doing a thing where they're giving different codes out, and they're, uh, uh, it, it'll not just let them know you're coming from this show. It's that the, which month you're coming from the sponsor read for. I know on your show that uh, they used uh, Marco as a code. Yep. Even though you have two other co-hosts. Yep. Uh, so I think they're trying to be cutesy. It makes it memorable. That way, tomorrow, you're listening today. Tomorrow's the day you're going to go. You're like, I'm doing it. I'm going to sign up for Squarespace because I want to set up my online store. What was that code that Gruber gave me? You'll remember it. it's Vesper because the show really has nothing to do with Vesper, but that's the code they picked. Just goes to show you that the people at Squarespace really listen to these shows and know what the hell's going on uh, with, uh, you know, what I'm up to. So my thanks to Squarespace for once again sponsoring the show. Great, great, great supporter of this show and many others. Uh, Go check them out. If you have a website that you want to build, all right, here's the last thing. With my idea, which I I'm starting to think is wishful thinking. My idea is that they're going to keep the smaller iPhone size around with top-tier specs because I want a small device and I love my stuff small. I don't under, I don't I still don't see how they price the two devices. Bec- yeah, that's a, that's a tough call. All right, because with the iPad, bigger's b- better somehow and bigger is more expensive and bigger, you know, the bigger MacBook is always, you know, 13 inch air is more than the 11. The 15 inch MacBook pro is more than the 13. The 27 inch iMac is cost more than the 24 inch iMac because bigger displays cost more. But at a certain point, miniaturization is the, you know, is more expensive. Um, you know, that, that bigger isn't really what you're paying for. And depending on what the pixel count is, you know, at a, a uh, if the pixel count is exactly the same on the bigger iPhone, then maybe that display isn't more expensive. Maybe the one that's denser is more expensive. I'm I'm not quite sure how that goes. And then just plain old marketing wise, how does that how does that sit? To me, it makes it's such a hard. I can't figure out how they would price two new iPhones with improved specs. Like I, I think it's very clear. That the mid-priced iPhone next year is going to be an i you know the equivalent of an iPhone 5s. I mean I don't know if they're going to put it in plastic like the 5c again, but you know the whole take last year's top of the iPhone top of the line iPhone, move it down one click in the product here. So I'm I you know I definitely think they will be selling iPhone four-inch iPhones for at least two more years as the 5s. You know basic tech model moves down the product line, but will they have a new top of the line one at four? I don't know how they would price it if they did. I really don't. I can't see them I can't see them introducing two phones at the same price that have different size screens. It just seems weird
1: yeah that's that's a tough call, and I wouldn't put too much weight into the iPad example because we don't really know how that's going yet. You know, like this is this is the first time that now with the Retina Mini and the iPad Air, this is the first time where we have pretty much the same hardware in, in two different sizes at two diff- at two very different price points. Um, so it's very possible, you know, maybe actually it isn't. It's only a hundred bucks, right? The difference. I think
0: it's only hundred. Yeah, for Retina, it's only a hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. The original Mini, who cares? Terrible screen. So, so it's only a hundred bucks. Um, Maybe, the I I think certainly the, the Minis overall, I bet they're outselling the big iPads. Um, I don't know if we have that confirmed from any actual data, but I would certainly bet it's the case, or at least it's very close. It could be that the smaller Mini with almost no noticeable downsides uh, might be really eating into the sales of the big one. Or it could be that people will pay for a bigger screen and nothing else. And so the big one's still selling great. Um, either way, I think the condition that we have now, where we have those two iPads with identical hardware, uh, with only the screen size and a hundred buck price difference, I think we've had that for such a short time that neither we nor Apple have much of an idea of whether the behavior that's exhibited there will continue on in the future for for longer than just this year. You know, so they might do the same thing with the iPhone now certainly if they priced the new big one 100 bucks higher say or any any interval if they price it higher than the 4 inch line that will impact its sales especially in subsidized countries where the perceived difference is much bigger than the actual overall difference
0: right and i think that the whole subsidized thing makes the it makes it all confusing anyway because yeah. it, you know if it's Actually, $100 more. Like, the unsubsidized price is $100 more. Who knows what the difference would be subsidized? You know, subsidized is... It distorts the cost of an iPhone so profoundly. Right. So, you know, who knows?
1: I think... And one possibility, too, is that maybe... Maybe they... They they dropped the price of the new small one down to that... Hundred dollar spot, right? Instead of the two hundred dollar spot,
0: that's possible, maybe. You know, but they, then I feel again, like, it's it's a stretch. But they, but they then co- I feel like they risk. um I feel like they risk a serious nosedive in iPhone average selling price, right? uh Which has been super consistent. Like I know, I think I got it from from Horace before the show, where. Two years in a row for the holiday quarter, the average selling price of an iPhone has dropped by like five or six dollars. So it went from like five or six thirty-eight to six thirty-two to this year six twenty-seven. Could be off. I'm, I don't have notes, but it's something like that. But very, That's very pretty stable compared, especially compared to the market as a whole, where it's sort of gotten commoditized very quickly. You know, on the Android side, um, whereas if they drop. If they keep a four-inch phone that's top tier and drop it by a hundred bucks, you know they could. And, and you know it turns out that most people, even with the choice between the two, still pick the four. You know, average selling price really drops.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think, I mean, maybe maybe that maybe the pricing issues alone would be enough of a reason not to keep the four-inch size getting right. top-tier parts inside.
0: But on the other hand they've, you know, as like the iPod lineup evolved over the last decade, they weren't too sensitive about protecting prices and were a little bit more on the side of, you know, pushing prices lower and and you know, as as components got cheaper and stuff like that. You know, they didn't try to keep the iPod as a $399 product. You know, it was three ninety nine for a couple of years at the beginning, but then they quickly pushed it to new price points. So they could, you know, could be that it's time to do that with the iPhone, and that don't, you know, you know, famous last words make it up in quantity, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I really don't know. I think it's anyone's guess. Like you could, you can pick any of these outcomes, and I could make a case for it.
0: Business Insider has a, uh, our good friends there who are totally <laughs> non sensational. Uh, their chart, they're always right. Their chart of the day today is the average selling price of iPads and nosedives. Uh, and that's, uh, it has gone down though. It's, it's year over year, it's down like 13%. Uh, which I don't know that counts as a nosedive. Um, and I'm not reading the actual numbers here, I'm reading these from their chart. Um, but starting in Q10 or Q2 of 2010 the average selling price of an iPad was 660 670 it went up a little then it started going back down it's still was 600 and it was right around 600 in Q1 2011 which would have been the holiday quarter first holiday quarter for the iPad it dropped to 600 even then it went up to 650, and that was when they introduced the iPad 2. And then ever since then, it's gone steadily down. Uh, and for the quarter they just completed, it dropped below 500 for the first time, and it was at 467. So I think that tells you a lot. If if the average is under 500, I think the Mini is clearly... Uh, taking a big chunk of the sales. And I don't, you know, I don't think that, that they're disappointed by that. I mean, the only other possibility is that they're sold a lot of, and I wonder, maybe it is. I mean, maybe they sold a ton of the non-retina iPad mini just because it hit that new price point. What's it sell for now? Is it? It's is, 300 right? Is it $299? Oh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because it used to be 329 Yeah, now it's yeah, 299 yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, the the iPad's a weird example compared to the iPhone because the subsidies on the iPhone mess everything up and and the iPad, you know, starting out this new product category that at first was very hard for anyone else to match component price-wise, uh like in like the the original 10-inch 2010 iPad. I mean, remember there were other 10-inch tablet projects from other companies at the time and they could not even come close to matching the iPad on hardware specs to price. They right. couldn't do it. They tried, and they couldn't do it. And, I mean, heck, even, even more recently than that, the 10-inch Microsoft Surface had had trouble doing it. Um, you know, it, In the 10-inch size, with, with those kind of specs, it's just hard to do. And it's getting easier over time. But so, all this low-end disruption started happening with the 7-inch category and everything, pushed prices down, the market matured, pushed prices down more from the top, I think it was bound to happen that this new category, like the average selling price, of course, was going to fall. Look at, you know, when when the MacBook Air came out, the first MacBook Air was eighteen hundred dollars. And, you know, now you can get them for what, a thousand, eleven hundred? Like prices fell as technology got better until it settles into a kind of a, a, a steady point. And so of course that was gonna happen with the iPad. With the iPhone, we didn't really see that as much we saw some of it but we didn't see it as much because the subsidy pricing thing distorted everything so you know i don't like if they had to sell an iphone for 300 bucks they would find a way to do it it wouldn't be ideal but they would find a way to do it they wouldn't have those great margins (laughs) you know whereas the ipad because it's unsubsidized there's a lot more pressure like their their pricing matters a lot more for that volume and they have to sell it. They have to cut the price down. And, of course, competitors are going to come eat up a lot of that margin as soon as they possibly can.
0: What about this as, as as a past decisions making sense in light of future decisions sort of thing? Like, What if the real point of the iPhone 5C coming out last year, instead of just selling the iPhone 5 as it was at the same price, at this, you know, prices of the 5c is to set the stage for two new iPhones per year. And that this year for 2014 there's a new, I don't know what they'll call it. Let's just say they skip just for the sake of argument. Skip calling any phone that just plain iPhone 6 and instead they have two new phones, iPhone 6s, iPhone 6c. 6c is 4 inches and maybe has some improvements even over the 5s but it's 4 inches and maybe it's plastic and it's still last year's phone basically yeah well
1: yeah maybe i don't know would it be yeah like maybe. It's, it's still an a7 it still has right. you know the 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 iphone 5S's camera and stuff like
0: that yeah or maybe it has a better camera i don't know maybe they don't quite just put the 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 5s into plastic. Maybe they do have some improvements, but it's not quite as, you know, across the board, but that the 6S would be metal and have a higher quality finish and be bigger. That, I would say that's, you know, it's certainly possible. I might even
1: say it's likely. I mean, that, I can see that being the most obvious thing they would do if they're going to introduce a bigger phone. That's probably how they would do it. Um, But, you know it's it's hard to look at what they've done in the past and say that's definitely how they're going to do it in the future you know certain things you can be sure about you can be sure that they're probably not going to like you know cram weird stuff into an event that's not made for that weird stuff usually right. you can be sure they're not going to like tell you what they're going to do 6 months ahead of time for most products you know like you can you can look at their patterns and you can make some pretty good assumptions but i think making any kind of assumption about you know, when, you know, what exactly is going to come out, how it's going to be priced, how it's going to be marketed for something as important to the company as the iPhone um, in what is actually a pretty dynamic and shifting market of some of the saturation happening, a lot more competition than ever before, going into new markets, especially new big markets like Asia. Um, I think that's, we can't base any of these predictions on, well, they've always done it this way, so they're probably going to do that again. I mean, it, that's not that
0: strong. It's too new, and the, everything is shifting so fast that precedent doesn't matter that much,
1: right? And like, and Apple does not care about their own precedent nearly this much. No. You know, your Tim Cook is not saying, "Well, we uh, can't ship this new phone at this price because we've never done that before. We can only right. ship one, or <laughs> it has to be like." They don't care. They're going to do what's best for their products and their company. Right. And
0: I, I think anybody who said that at like a, a product marketing strategy meeting at Apple would <laughs> would get, like, the, the worst, like, crickets response from everybody else in the room. I think they'd have to, right. like, like, hang their head in shame and get up and just, I'll, 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 I'll go away now.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like, they're going to do what's going to make them sell the most iPhones. And, you know, whatever they can do to do that in a way that they don't suck. Like, they're going to try to sell the most iPhones they can without making them suck. That's basically it. And they've had this nice pattern they've done for a few years with not a whole lot of variation, but there has been variation, and, you know, it's easy to forget. Um, but there has been variation when it's been called for, and uh, and I think they're going to keep doing that. Like, if they want to deviate, they'll deviate, period. And especially when it comes to something like, like if you're going to really launch two substantially new models, you know, saying the 5C isn't substantially new, um, if you're going to really launch two very new models... Uh, in one year, that's a big change. Maybe you'll change the way you do things. Maybe you'll change the pricing structure. Maybe you'll, you know, abandon the small one for being the high-end one. You know, there's all
0: sorts of things they could do. I wouldn't even be surprised if they, you know, if if it's so much in flux that that this pattern from just the last handful of years where iPad, uh, new iPhone September, new iPads October, if they change that up too. Now, yeah, it, there's no reason they have to stick to that either, right? Like you said before, we have seen leaks of hardware from, especially from the phones, six, seven months before they come out. That it, they, but who knows? Maybe they've plugged the leaks. Like, is it all that ridiculous to think that we'd see a new iPhone at WWDC? I don't think so. No, I think it would be they, surprising. Yeah, and I think we would. We're going to hear something if it's if it happens. We'll hear something soon. We'll start seeing leaks but i wouldn't be i wouldn't put that out of uh the realm of possibility and it also makes it seem like depending on where it is on the high end low end range might make it easier to introduce two phones this year by not doing them side by side i mean what if what if a new high
1: end phone comes out that still is the a7 right it's just bigger right <laughs> you know bigger phone bigger battery better camera same cpu yeah like, i wouldn't be surprised what if that happens and they release it in may you know like there's they could do that if they wanted to if it makes sense there's no reason why they can't you know it, it a few people would complain but you know they could do that if they want to they they they're, they're, they're going to do what makes sense right and uh, and because well, we don't know what exactly they're doing
0: uh, we don't really know what will make sense for it right which you know in like the grand scheme of things Last year, where they did the iPad three Retina, and then six months later replaced it with the I don't know what were we we called it the iPad four or whatever, but yeah, that did suck. It sucked, but you know, <laughs> I think they it wasn't a mistake on their part. It wasn't like it was an accident. It was what they thought was the best for them going forward to get a Retina iPad out as quick as possible, and they sold a ton of them. But then if they since they could make an even a much better one in time for the holiday season, which means October, they did it.
1: Oh, sure. And you know, if you look at their competitors in both phones and tablets, a lot of them do things twice or even more a year. Like they right. you know, you don't there's no reason there's no nothing saying Apple has to only release one new phone and tablet a year. Right.
0: Or even I would say their competitors do it way more than every year, you know, once a year.
1: I mean, it's, you know, like some like Amazon will do it about once a year. Google does it about, well for the tablet about once a year. For the phone, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the the big Android manufacturers for 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 Android phones are doing you know two three times a year, and it's and that's normal. That's fine. You know, nobody really complains. Oh well, people do, but they don't care. Uh, nobody really, nobody's really heard complaining. Oh well, my Galaxy S seven is now obsolete because the S eight came out two months later. Like they don't care it doesn't matter they they do what works
0: so you're going to buy a big one
1: yeah probably you know knowing nothing else about it except that there might be a new iPhone with a bigger screen and no major downsides yeah i'd buy it and i would say i would even buy it regardless of the screen resolution decision hmm. i would buy it either way
0: what's your prediction if there's a bigger iPhone, what will the screen resolution be? You And I would say just narrowing your choices to uh, exactly the same, 1136 by 640, or a lot more pixels. Because they wouldn't just add a few more pixels. Like, they're not going to go from 640 horizontally to 720. Right. They, if they're going to add more pixels, it would have to be a significant increase.
1: I don't think... They need to necessarily increase the DPI uh, substantially. No, I, mean, may-
0: I don't think so either. I'm with you that I think more than 332 is you're just you're just wasting battery life. I really yeah. do. Uh, Even and, some- and
1: reducing GPU performance, which right. is very important to them. So I, I don't I don't think they need to go higher DPI. So I will say they. I would bet if they make a larger phone, I bet it is a higher resolution. Uh, but only really to proportionally grow with the screen right. within a certain tolerance. I don't think I don't think it's going to be a meaningfully different DPI.
0: Right, and the fact that that would make life tougher on developers is absolutely not something they would even think twice about. Well, not, they would no, think they once. Wouldn't. I think they would think once about it and <laughs> yes. and not twice.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the fact is, if they say, "Hey, there's a new iPhone with this new size, developers, you better adopt it." We'll we'll all say, "All right." and we'll right. do it and it won't be a big deal. It's just like supporting the iPhone 5 against the iPhone 4. Right. Like it's it was a new screen size and it was a little easier cuz it was only bigger in one dimension but it was still a new size that we have to support and we still have to support both and it's no big deal. Well, and especially be- with auto layout. It's just it's so much easier it, and the move away from like cut, like pixel by pixel painted textures over the whole app and towards the iPhone se- the iOS 7 um, style makes it even easier. To make flexible apps that can work in a variety of, of uh, resolutions. That's so a good I point. don't. I really don't think that that the developer burden would be a major concern.
0: That's a good point. That's one thing I heard about iOS seven too was it was you know from somebody at Apple that it was partially just what they think was best and that they really do they think it's just, you know thought it was a great design, but that it was also partially you know is it, it was not just meant to be here's a new look for 2013 it was the new look for the next five years going forward and it's informed somewhat by what they know is coming down the pipeline and you know having a a range of displays as a specific in terms of just these two size displays and then doing like you said like pixel perfect texture mapping for them uh, definitely makes it easier to scale oh yeah Well, the big and the biggest tell, too, about what they care about developers having to do a lot of work is when the original iPad came out. Because the easiest thing, if they were really worried about making life easier for developers, they would have made the original iPad a little bit smaller and then just had it run iPhone apps scaled up. And it wouldn't have, you know, it would have been a terrible idea. It would have (laughs) – I think it would have kept the iPad – I honestly think it would have kept the iPad from being a hit product. But it would have been what happened if – one of their top priorities was making life easier for their developers. Whereas instead, their top priority is doing what they think is the best design and then worry about, you know, how to make it, you know, how to how to be helpful to developers.
1: Right. I mean, the fact is, the best thing they can do for developers is to sell a shit ton of phones. Right. And if if a decision is going to make them sell a shit ton of phones that all developers should be very happy and do whatever is required to get into that market because that's best for us you know it regardless of if we have to you know lay out a screen twice that's nothing for reaching a shit ton of phones yeah
0: all right well i told you it would be short show so let's let's knock it off now before we hit the <laughs> 7 hour mark Marco, I really have to thank you a lot. I don't think I—I I, I think this is the most sincere thanks I ever have had to offer to a guest because uh, uh, it's the longest continuous recording session I've ever had.
1: Yeah, I think me too. Actually, this is this is my record. Yeah,
0: I almost feel at this point. I, I still feel like I'm, we're going strong, and that's why I want to cut it off. I don't feel like we've lost it. Uh, but I, I'm
1: slowing down. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. I feel like we got to quit while we're ahead. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been fun. Uh, let's, let's get some pitches in. We've got ATP at ATP.fm, right? Yep. I get it right? Yep. Uh, that's your podcast. I think, honestly, I do, I say this, no bullshit, just because you're on the show. Anybody who likes this show would love ATP. If you haven't listened to it, you're nuts. I mean, if you like podcasts. Uh, you got your marco.org, and you got your Overcast, but that's not out yet, so we might as well not even pitch it.
1: See now I have a reason to release it because the uh, the Jonathan Colton comic book just came in from Kickstarter and I bought an ad in there for Overcast. Ooh! So now this is like shipping to people with an ad for Overcast that doesn't exist yet.
0: Ooh! Did did you do that because you thought you'd be out by now or that yep. you yep. just had no idea when the comic <laughs> book was coming out?
1: Ah, uh, some of both, but I—I I had a rough idea it was coming out like you know early this year, sometime. And yeah, it arrived in the mail today, and there's that's my ad, a... and it looks awesome, and it's pointing to a website that has nothing on
0: it. So... That's not too far behind schedule. But I do recall talking with you months ago, and you had a vague plan to be in beta by December.
1: Yeah, that didn't happen. I'm still not in beta, but I'm getting there. All right. <laughs> Possibly, maybe by the time this episode's released, I might be in beta, but that's unlikely. I
0: can hear in your voice though that it's—it's it's getting close.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm using it full-time. I've been using it full-time for, like, four months as my only podcast client. So, it, you know, certainly... There's um, a voice
0: that a developer has when a product that was behind schedule still isn't in beta, and and yet it's beta isn't even within sight. There's a t- certain tone to their... Like, a desperation. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have that. A defeated
1: person. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm to the point now where I have... I almost have something shippable. The only question is deciding what to push off to future versions. I really want version one to be awesome. And it's so, you know, every developer faces this. It's so tempting to cram as much in there as you possibly can. But I know that I'm never going to ship if I do that. And so I'm just, I'm having to cut so many pretty nice big things that I really wanted to do that are just not going to be ready in time that's it's kind of heartbreaking but that's the reality I have to do it and I now so now I have a nice big roadmap for things I can add you know in the, in the next few months all
0: right 1.0 can turn into like a will of the wisp situation where yeah. it it's always it just no matter how much effort you pour into it it's still the same distance away from shipping and, and it <laughs> exactly just, and it'll drive you nuts you've in you know cutting features is how you catch the will of all right thank you Marco
1: all right thanks a lot